Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bare their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is... If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth, and they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. Yeah, baby! Dan McGuire, are you here? I am here. I'm well. My voice is back to normal. You think our theme song kind of sounds like, what's that guy on, like, Peanuts that played, is it Schroeder? <laughs> yeah, right. It was like playing a keyboard or some shit. It kind of sounds like something from Peanuts. No, 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 no. That's the uh, Vince Guaraldi did the music for the Peanuts uh, CBS TV series, and it's classic music. It was very jazz and feel. This feels more like a New Orleans jazz uh, than it's supposed to what uh, Schroeder was banging out on the keyboards while Lucy was uh, s- nearby waiting to suck his dick. <laughs> would you fuck lucy i think i would have uh yeah i, I uh there's not a, a lot to pick from <laughs> from that group. Yeah, peppermint patty seems like she'd want to peg us <laughs> yes that was that was the rumor that peppermint patty patty was uh was uh lesbian <laughs> that was peppermint Sally. patty was transitioning <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with Not that. at all. <laughs> Even back then. <laughs> Not that in no. Florida they would allow you to talk about that. <laughs> right. Uh, so you've been good. Your uh, your voice sounds 100%. Not that it really sounded bad at any point. Uh, but oh, the, my you're, God. You're listening, good. like when, I, when Jim McMahon was on, I sounded like death. No, 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 no. I thought I sounded like complete and utter shit. But at least again, <laughs> I got we had that opportunity, yeah. which I'm immensely grateful for and will always be. Oh, and anytime. And we'll uh we're working on getting some people during the off season that should make some of our future shows extra special. I don't want to reveal any names because we know some people out there will try to get them before us. <laughs> right. 
Oh, man. Did you listen to any of Ryan Poles' press conference today? I did not. I was in prep for working my shift today, so I literally slept until 6 p.m. East. Mm, well, I'll tell you one thing. It was a, I was impressed with a lot of his responses. It wasn't a lot of that Ryan Pace stuff. Yeah, he was secretive. And now whether he lied to us on a couple of times, we'll, we'll find out after the draft. Uh, but I thought he was uh, he revealed a few things and he was professional it was a nice change of pace. Now he's just got to go out there and really nail this this draft. Now you're you're upset about the Pringle thing, right? Yeah, and it's not like from the moral outrage kind of thing, but like like you said, the kid, the kids in the car, you're doing donuts, mm-hmm. driving on a suspended license. I question your intelligence. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he can't do calculus. I'm just saying, but his decision making bothers me. If he's willing to do something so stupid when he just signed a contract with a new organization, make no mistake about it. He's with a billion dollar corporation, the Chicago bears. Mm -hmm. And I am nowhere near as important, but I would be fired from both gigs had I done what he did. And I'm not saying we should cut him like, because he did something so morally wrong. I'm not saying that, but from a decision-making perspective, side of it may i wouldn't be so upset if they told him a you're either cut or you're at the bottom of the depth chart you're gonna have to work your ass to to pay to pay this one off Mm -hmm. because if he's that dumb off the field how's he can you depend him can you depend on this guy on sunday Mm -hmm. or thursday or monday if if he's making these kind of decisions right Steven says, uh, let's make this clear, you know, uh, polls is not to blame for pringles decision i don't think anybody here is is blaming polls no. at all uh, i got a 20 second soundbite of of polls responding to that question about pringle i know him very well um and it's not a reflection of who he is at all um you don't want your guys in the news at all so yeah at that point it's a disappointment but uh, like i said we had good conversations about it uh, we're in a good place and uh, we'll keep that internal Thought he handled that professionally because it should be kept internal. He should express his disappointment. Uh, so he kind of covered both sides of the aisle there. Uh, and there was more to that, but that was the gist of of what he said regarding that issue. Does that appease you? Maybe appease is not the right word, but that, does that satisfy you a little more, Dan? I mean, I don't expect him to say anything different as the general manager. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't expect him to come out and kick the guy in the balls mm-hmm. and and say that, you know, he's unintelligent or whatever. You got to protect your guy. Right. I get that. But internally, I would hope that they told him, like, you fuck up like this again, bro, and you're gone. Yeah. I I would take that approach exactly. It's not – I would tell my players, this is not a three strikes and you're out kind of deal. This is a two strikes and you're out. This That's how – this is not baseball – this is the Chicago Bears, and our tolerance for some things is zero. Uh, but our tolerance for something like this is you get a break on this one and just don't do it again, you know. And it, we don't know the details of how old was the kid, at least I don't know, but yeah, it, it's not a good look when you're doing that with the kid. Now, having said that, 
<laughs> when I was a kid, <laughs> I was in a lot of cars with my uncle Mike uh, doing donuts and going 80 miles an hour down North Avenue in Chicago and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And that but was it kind of feels like the Jay Williams thing in, in a certain sense. You can go ride the motorcycle oh. all you want, but uh, are you want, but not when you're with the Chicago Bulls. Yes. You know, like you can do those things, do donuts and shit, but you have a responsibility in that huge contract mm -hmm. to fulfill, like, because you're, you're a representative of that team everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're, you're separate from them. Unless you're just the bottom of the roster guy that no one's ever heard of, then maybe you have some anonymity. But even if he's never accomplished anything, the Bears were betting on him to be a breakout guy. Mm -hmm. So, man, and they gave you some money. Like you, you owe it to them to keep your fucking head clean. And now, apparently, he was driving a Hellcat. Do you know what that is, Dan? I have no what, no clue whatsoever. But apparently, uh, Cliff Victoria says if he was driving a Hellcat, he'd be doing the same thing too. Um, but uh, the thing you brought up, Jay Williams, it's interesting that um, with Jay Williams, the former number one draft pick for the Chicago Bears, and Dan, you probably remember the year better than me. Um, he, it was in his contract that he couldn't drive motorcycles. So he really fucked up besides killing off his, his NBA playing career. Uh, he, and then the Chicago Bulls, they, they forgave him and, and paid out. I think the majority or all of that contract, despite the fact that they had legal grounds to say, dude, you fucked up, no money for you. But, uh, uh I'm being told that a Hellcat is a muscle car. So, uh, Hemi Charger Foster, uh, covers foster covers foster covers is it covers or covers foster uh put the pronunciation key out in your name help me out um so i don't know i i think this is one of those things and i uh nomad is in the chat and he's like saying come on you know let's not make too big of a deal out of it and greg gabriel said the same thing on to on on today's show he said, you know, there's a, a, a guy in the nfl who uh, allegedly may have sexually harassed uh, dozens of women, and he's playing. Those are the issues we see. No, Brett Favre retired. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, but th those those are bigger issues that need our attention. To Greg thought that the Brian Byron uh, is it Byron or Brian Brian uh, Pingle Pringle. You know, that that's just not not even worth discussion. But I, I but I do. You know, I think you know. Uh, unfortunately, I'm pulling for polls so 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 much. But unfortunately, he's come out of the gate with a few problems. You know, the the whole uh, Ogan Joby thing again. That's not his fault. It's just bad luck. The whole thing with uh, Bates, the offensive lineman for Buffalo. Again, not his fault. You could make the argument he should have offered him more than than what the the Bills matched. Um, and then this issue with Pringle, you know, it's just a, a, a string of bad luck to start off his GM uh, career. And hopefully he'll erase that this weekend with some tremendous picks and, and get us feeling really good. Uh, that would be nice. Yeah. Tooch says, uh, Brian, <laughs> Byron Pringle, although no more bourbon for you, old man. <laughs> Thanks, Tooch. <laughs> um, all right. So I do want to play some of these sound bites because I got a lot of them. And the rest of the show, uh, we'll be talking about some uh, draft uh, stuff. But I want to really delve into Poles' press conference today. There were some interesting things that uh, he shared with us that might give us a clue a little bit into uh, what is uh, going on with uh, 
uh, with the team's thinking for the draft. Um, in terms of his style, he was asked if he's uh, more of an old school guy who relies more on his thought process and watching tape, or is he the type of guy who relies a lot on analytics? This is what, what Ryan Poles responded to. I feel like my foundation is old scouting. Um, that old foundation was set early in my career. Uh, a lot of that has to do with just watching tape, watching a lot of tape, um, and understanding that sometimes it, you're taking a good football player. Like sometimes it's just that basic. Like, are we taking a good football player? Um, do I think you can use some of these tools and technologies to get too cute? Absolutely. Um, but I think my foundation is at the end of the day, I want to take away a good football player because I've watched the tape and there's proof on film. If you get kind of funky with all of a sudden the proof is on paper, I think you're kind of playing with fire a little bit. So that's kind of that old school part. But I do like to use the numbers and, and, and the numbers on paper to confirm what I see um, and what we see. I love that thinking, you know, because a lot of times in, in today's sports world, baseball, basketball, football, you name it, there's the real emphasis on analytics now. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, your eyes have got to and your gut, you know, should lead the way uh, with that, uh, with evaluating players. And so I'm glad that he responded that way and didn't give us a bunch of uh, gobbledygook about the importance yeah, I, of analytics. I thought that it was a good juxtaposition between the new regime and the old regime. Not trying to kick Ryan Pace here, but he had a lot of those picks that were based on, like, his assumption or his hopes that mm -hmm. this player could turn into something like projects. Yep. Now, again, Cohen paid off, but a lot of those didn't. Right. So it sounded like he said, well, Poles is saying, I want to draft someone that's already done this on tape, mm -hmm. not that he could do this later. Mm. Someone that's already done it. Mm. Yeah. You know, the, one of the criticisms about Ryan Pace is that he liked to to uh, draft guys who looked really good in their underwear. You know, he was really big into physique and muscle buildup, body makeup and so forth which was one of the big reasons he chose Kevin White. I mean, Kevin White was fucking uh, Adonis, you know, whatever uh, 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 analogy you want to, the guy was sculpted. He was outstanding, but unfortunately couldn't stay healthy. There were problems with the playbook and, and so forth. By the way, somebody in the chat room just said that Quinn uh, reportedly uh, was walking with a limp. Did you uh, hear anything about that, Dan? Quinn was no, at the press but today. he's he's done that before, <laughs> and he's he's been okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's good. Uh, did you hear that uh, Quinn was a little bit? Uh, he wasn't. He didn't sound too happy about the Kalua Mac trade, and and, uh, uh, and didn't want to use the word rebuilding. I got news for you: the team is rebuilding. Robert Quinn. Um, did did you hear his quotes on any of that stuff? I have not. Like I apologize no, for not right. being up to date on today's events. Uh, I was just tied up, man. I was busy. No, no worries at all. But yeah, Quinn did express his uh, displeasure at the use of the word uh, rebuild. And um, but, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that it is. Interestingly, Ryan Poles was asked about that word and listen to his hesitation here at the beginning of his response. Well, yeah, no, the rebuild thing's like super sensitive. No, we're we're. We're constructing a very good football team. Uh, regardless of how you use whatever term that is, we just continue to add talent and young talent, older talent, whatever it takes to make the best team possible. You know, actually 
you know, late night with the wife, you're watching TV, you get like the uh, home network where, you know, there's some rooms that are good. You might have to redo some countertops over here, some fresh paint over there. Some rooms are good. You don't need to touch them. So that's kind of the thought process there. That's not a rebuild either. <laughs> it's a fixer-upper. Yeah. It's a fixer-upper he prefers to call it. That's what the mayor I, I like that, and I like Robert Quinn well, based upon the paraphrase that you have given me. Mm -hmm. If you were a player, if we were – even if we were the scrubs, wouldn't you think going into the season, like, you, you can't concede that we're going to suck. Mm -hmm. So, like, you have to have hope that you're going to win. I mean, I know you're getting paid, but still, mm -hmm. if you thought, like, there was no chance of winning whatsoever – couldn't wouldn't that just kill your desire so the fact that quinn doesn't want to concede that point and thinks that they can win or wants them to win i like it yeah in fact let me, i got the quote here uh because it, it i don't think he said it on camera but i pulled the quote for the greg gabriel show today and uh oops where'd it go uh didn't mean to do that i meant to do this and then go to banners um this is what um Mr. Quinn said about that topic. Where the hell is it? Darn it, darn it, darn it, darn it, darn it. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Uh, he said, I don't think that's the right way we should phrase it, rebuild, because the guys in the building are professionals, and I think everyone carries themselves to high expectations. I believe, me personally, that no player is better than me, and I believe everyone else should carry themselves the same way so to say a rebuild is i guess a funny word i think it's just getting guys to believe and i'm slowing down here because the crawl is slower than my reading uh i think it's just getting guys to believe who they truly are and perform at their high level so yeah i mean i agree with you if it, that quinn's words there really resonated with me he doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild he wants to be a part of getting better and, and winning games so i'll buy that but let's face it you know when you when you trade khalil mack it's it's a rebuild you know <laughs> i don't know i you know you got another you got a second round pick i didn't want khalil traded either mm -hmm. but robert quinn did the overwhelming majority of his damage with with uh khalil out Mm -hmm. So maybe Paul said, well, this is one of our chips we can get another pick for, and we still have this other guy who can be our pass rusher. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'm not a mind reader. Maybe they trade him on Thursday, too, and get, get into the first round. Yeah, I saw a headline from one of the Chicago newspapers. I didn't get a chance to read the article, but the, you know, the fact is, is that the team might be better off trading Robert Quinn if the right offer is made on draft day. And, um, you know, there are teams out there that are going to be uh, in need of an established pass rusher, somebody who can come in immediately and give you double-digit sacks. And so, you know, the phone might be ringing for Ryan Post. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I was whole, trying to hold that sneeze. <laughs> I get the sentence out. But uh, so it, 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 I, what I hate to do, though, you know, like with the Khalil Mack trade, you trade or you basically what you get is a second round pick. And so with that second round, you essentially just have to replace Khalil Mack, you know, and try to find a gem that can play at Khalil Mack's level. And so you have him for, for less dollars and stuff. And so 
you know, if I mean, to me, Khalil was a second round talent at this point. I hate to say that. And you cut salary. So I, in, in hindsight, I can see where Paul's is coming from emotionally. I would have liked to have seen him stay Mm -hmm. because I wanted to see him live up to that trade in 2018. But I mean, I can't fault the man for trading him because he was probably our top asset other than fields. Do you uh, look back at the Khalil Mack trade and say that it was a failure, a somewhat success or a success? I mean, at best, I'll say somewhat of a success. Mm -hmm. It's still laughable to think that he made number 60 in the Bears' all-time top 100 list. I mean, I don't think they would have put him there if they'd have known the the next three years that were coming. Mm-hmm. Right. I here, I'll ask you a question. Okay. Which trade and and now that we've got some hindsight with both, or not the other one being a free agent acquisition, which was better, Julius Peppers, oh, or Khalil Mack? I thought they were both in hindsight extremely disappointing, given the money they paid Julius and the the two first rounders for Khalil and the contract, no less. Yeah, that that is a great question. Let's hear it, uh, chat room. What were you, what do you think was a better trade? The acquisition of Julius Peppers or the acquisition of Khalil Mack? I for one, you know, I remember the the hundred proof guys, uh, Phil and Shane making fun of me because I said, I don't think we should trade for him. Let's just wait to free agency because I hate to give up draft picks. I hate to give up draft assets because you could potentially find even in a, a mid round, you can find the guy that is blossoming and could become the next Khalil Mack. I know that's rare. I know that's super rare, but you're giving up more than one opportunity to find that gem. I don't like trading for for superstars unless you know, like the Rams did when they made these uh, in-season acquisitions, like for Von Miller. They knew that they were going to go to the Super Bowl, had a great chance to win the Super Bowl. They didn't have a rookie quarterback. They had an established quarterback who looked Super Bowl ready. The Bears were like still in their infancy in so many ways. And Khalil Mack maybe took the defense from a B to an A in that first season he was here. But it certainly didn't stay as an A uh, during his tenure here because his body started to give out on him. And, 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 and so you need to kind of assess those things when you're trading for players. Are we going to trade for a defensive lineman who's, who's constantly being hit by double teams and triple teams and his, his body's going to wear down? How good is he going to be in year two, year three, or year four of that contract when we're still stuck for tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars for, for this player? So I, I don't know. I, uh, Ryan Poe said in this press conference today, I prefer to build through the draft homegrown talent, and that's the way I am. I don't like trading for, for superstar guys. Um, I like to find them through great drafting. I I said this, and I remember Zimmerman was critical of me at the time, which is fine. That's part of the fun of it. I don't mean that defensively, but I said at the time, I think this was probably two, three years ago, whatever, uh, but I said that I thought when you give up two first round picks for a defensive player, you better be trading for Lawrence Taylor. Now, maybe Zim took exception to that because he, you know, not trying to talk shit. It is what he is. He was, he was born when LT was in his last season. So he doesn't know how great Lawrence Taylor was. Right. So, but to me, 
when you tell me we're giving up two first round picks, I'm expecting to have a guy like LT that could potentially be the league MVP, let alone defensive player of the year. Right. And now you're looking at Mac on his third team. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's a chance this guy's going to be bouncing around the league like four or five teams before he retires now. Yeah. You're right. I, I remember. I, don't, I bet he doesn't even make the Hall of Fame. He's got so much mm. hype. Wow. That's a good and question. So, I mean, God, he's going to be, like I said, he's going to have played with like as many teams as McMahon did if, if it keeps going the way it is. Wow. That is a really good And you question. know, I love Jim McMahon. So, right. yeah. Um, by the way, Lawrence Taylor's uh, name came up today in the Greg Gabriel show because somebody asked a question, you know, what player did you watch on tape and say, holy cow, the guy just jumped up out of the tape and, and uh, Greg, you know, just said, wow. And he immediately said, Lawrence Taylor. The first time I, I looked at tape of Lawrence Taylor, I was just effing amazed at the athlete that he was. Yeah. Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence is somebody- Taylor's defense or the way the impact he had on the league yes. and and the teams having to block him mm-hmm. was about, I'm going to say his impact on the league was almost as strong as the Beatles impact on music. How every song is structured with chorus, I'm sorry, verse, chorus, verse mm-hmm. because of the Beatles. That's the kind of impact Lawrence Taylor had on the league. Is that why you hate the Beatles? <laughs> no, I, I don't hate the Beatles. I just, they're not my thing. It was my mom's favorite band. You know, it's just not, I don't know. Like if you're playing the the Beatles and they had the beards and were on drugs and shit, like some of that's okay. But like I love it. the boy band stuff, it might as well be in sync in 1962. You you're know? absolutely right. They were, they were, the I just want to hold your hand or whatever. Fuck all that. I'm not into that shit. Man. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, speaking of homegrown talent, uh, Poles was asked about uh, drafting a wide receiver and the importance of drafting a wide receiver because he's probably uh, been getting calls from agents saying, yeah, this receiver is available and the price tags are just astronomical. So he spoke a little bit about that. Um, I, I truly believe in homegrown talent. I truly believe in drafting the right players and develop, develop, developing them here. Um, and that'll help us in the long run, um, especially, I mean, we see the cost of, of a lot of these top receivers is crazy. Um, so it, it would benefit us to make sure we draft well and develop our own guys. Makes me a little bit worried about Darnell Mooney because Darnell Mooney is on track to catch 100 passes this season. So uh, if that continues, he'll have – I think he's a free agent after the 2023 season. He could be one of those guys saying, okay, baby, time to pay me $30 million a year. So it kind of kind of worries me. And so that leads me to believe that wide receiver in this draft, which is pretty deep, uh, uh, is going to be a high priority for, for Ryan Poles. Yeah, and you the same stigma that we keep hearing – whether there's validity to it or not about how, well, Justin Fields, isn't Paul's his guy. It, that's He didn't draft it. Well, he didn't draft Darnell Mooney either. Mm-hmm. So maybe he will be more favorable to a guy he drafts paying a big contract to versus Ryan Pace's guy. The thing though, is that, you know, the bears, uh, Iberflus and Poles talked about that. They had done research into what a second year quarterback needs most. And it was uh, the answer to that question was a dependable wide receiver, a guy who on third and six, you know, you're going to throw the ball to him because there's that chemistry, this type of chemistry that Rogers developed with Devonte Adams and is going to miss out on this year. That's the type of chemistry 
that Fields and Mooney are developing this year. And if that's the case, then you you pay them what what whatever is necessary to keep them. I mean, no, I agree with you. I think it's kind of stupid to say, "Duh, I didn't draft him, so I can't." I mean, he's your asset now. Yeah. So, I think if if he continues to grow, then you you have to franchise him at the very least coming up in 2024 if he plays the way that we all think he can play. Mm-hmm. And then the, the big topic that we've been talking about for uh, weeks, if not months here, is the small amount of draft capital that uh, this general manager inherited from Ryan Pace. And, uh, you know, we had heard him say before, you know, those are the cards we dealt. He was he talked about that uh, a little bit today. It's, it's definitely a challenge. But at the same time, I mean, that's why I was hired. That's why our group is, is doing what we do is is to take what we have and and construct the best roster we can and have the best draft we can. Um, I do think, you know, we will be in the business depending on where it is and what it looks like and moving back and trying to create more. Um, so that's just what we've been handed and we're going to maximize that. Worries me a little bit when I hear that because I would really like to get some great players uh, on uh, round two and three with those three picks that they have. You trade down the chances of hitting on a, on a plug-and-play player, a, 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 a diamond in the rough, you know, lessens the more you go down. But it, it almost seemed during, throughout this pace, uh, press conference that he was really intent on pursuing more draft picks. But we'll see. This is another – intriguing part of this whole thing how much can you believe that he's sharing with us you know some of the things are, could be misdirection plays on purpose exactly. like ahead of the draft i mean you, how many times have we talked about ryan pace signing mike glennon as a diversionary tactic <laughs> because he thought he needed that necessary like <laughs> camouflage to get mitch for some reason he didn't fool anybody with that stupid move <laughs> Jeez. man fooled me for a couple of minutes but that was about it <laughs> But you're right. I mean, um, same thing with Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton, right? Exactly. Justin Fields. Uh, you know, they and they were you. Everybody knew they were going after a quarterback in that draft. But the the difference was is that they they had what the twentieth overall pick in the first round, and so landing a quarterback, one of those top five quarterbacks in last year's draft was difficult. So they couldn't quite guarantee that they were going to land the quarterback they wanted. Although this guy that went to the Houston Texans in round two, Davis Mills, he would have been a nice consolation prize. You know, you know not that he has the physical talents uh, and uh, 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 the college uh, uh, resume that Fields has, but the, the, the guy I think is going to be a good NFL quarterback. I got a question for you not to, to veer back a minute. No, no, sorry. But at the time, people were saying Robert Quinn after 2020 was the worst acquisition in, in Bears history. You remember when people were saying that? Yeah. Or it was the worst free agent that. signing? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> I, again, this is a little bit of hyperbole, I admit. But I know it was only $10 million, but it's it's hard for me to imagine a worse signing than Andy Dalton hmm. That in, in recent time, other than the Rick Meyer trade. Yeah. What was worse than the one-year $10 million for Andy Dalton when Nick Foles could have probably outplayed him? Yeah. At the very least, if if you didn't start Justin Fields, you could have gone to, to Big Dick Nick. Yeah, you know, Dan, that's an interesting point because I, I think, you know, uh, months ago I would have said, I don't think it's that 
bad of a deal. But in hindsight, being 2020, you're absolutely right. That was that could have been Kyle Fuller's money. Yep. And even George McCaskey got it right because he, when he was quoted as saying that when he saw Fields enter that uh, preseason game and the electricity in the stadium, he was wondering, why, how come we're not giving this guy the opportunity to be the number one quarterback? And it was because they were pl- trying to replicate the Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith scenario. The only problem was is that Alex Smith had been there for years and had been running that offense and they knew that he was good. Uh, and so they do, wanted to make that transition from Smith to Mahomes and bringing in Andy Dalton, who was the backup quarterback with the Dallas Cowboys. That's not apples and oranges. That's apples and, 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 and dried beets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but um, well, no, but it's just antithetical to, I get it. I, I understand the comparison and I agree with you on that. I mean, there was no, that was a fallacy to suggest that, Andy and, and Alex Smith were the same thing. It's completely the opposite, but that's mm-hmm. the narrative they tried to sell us. Yes, indeed. Um, one of the interesting, very interesting, I thought, uh, things that was shared at the press conferences, he revealed that they have been rehearsing for the draft in that they have been doing simulated drafts and everybody takes their position. They even went to the point of, uh, having people call in with a draft proposal so that they know the chain of command. You know, this guy is on line threes. He's uh, offering this and so forth. They went through a complete rehearsal on that. And uh, uh, Poles said that uh, one, that's sort of like one of the things he did in, in Kansas City. And he was asked, you know, what, what have you brought from uh, KC to Chicago. This is his response. I, can't, I mean, I can honestly say there's never one person making a pick or. Uh, I, I, yeah, he was he was asked specifically, did can you tell us one player that you brought into the KC organization uh, or one specific thing that you did in Kansas City that we should know? I, can't, I mean, I can honestly say there's never one person making a pick or. Yeah, you get on the table for certain players, um, and we've already gone through that, and, and we're at the point now where pretty much the haze in the barn. So when you go into draft day, you know, it's a little bit more calm than everyone thinks. It's a little more quiet. Um, obviously, the phones might go off, and that creates a little bit of a, of a deal. But, um, yeah, no, it's just on draft days in the past, it's just gone through the process because that, the work is in the board, so you kind of let everything trickle the way you're supposed to. How much different is this weekend to be for you than any previous draft weekend? Just how big – I mean, obviously, the first time – Yeah, it's going to be different. But, but <laughs> yeah. how much different is – I mean, how, how well prepared, you know, what yeah. – you know, how, how different is it now this weekend as opposed to previous ones? I get – yeah, it, the responsibility of making the pick, and, I mean, yeah, it's, it's bigger. But at the same time, you just rely on the work that everyone – put in to make the right decision and that was the cool thing about doing a lot of these mock-up drafts is we feel comfortable with the way this thing's going to play out yeah i uh i'm glad that there's this level of comfort i'm glad that there was uh rehearsals i i come from a rehearsal background i think that in order to excel at something you should rehearse it now a lot of people are gifted and you know going to things you know either gifted or lucky and going to things without rehearsal and and nail it the first time but i think that the odds of success are better if you go through the entire process you rehearse it and then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again are you of that uh ilk dan yeah i i'd like a a run through, but if you want to compare it to us, I mean, we kind of have just been winging this. 
And people, uh, people have told us, that, hey, you guys are winging. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, but uh, a lot of people have, uh, have uh, I don't want to sound like I'm beating my dick here, but a lot of people have praised uh, us for having chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that said, we, we before the mic gets turned on, so to speak, we might talk about, all right, these are the topics, but we don't have like some big ass outline or something. Mm-hmm. We just kind of go with it. So it depends, but we're also not drafting for the Chicago Bears. Right. So <laughs> I think with something that important, uh, you know, a walkthrough or mock draft is certainly, I mean, they do them on TV constantly. So why not do it internally just to see? I, I get it. I, I, I agree with that. I like the fact that, he wants to be prepared, and I want him to be great. So let's go. Yeah, and I don't know if uh, these rehearsals were. I don't. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were not more for, you know, who are these teams going to pick? Who are they likely to pick? I think it was more for just process. You know, how is this going to go when as the clock is is ticking down? Let's rehearse it so we don't go into this with nerves and stuff. Let's let's talk about every potential scenario that could come up and how we deal with it. And, and I, I think there's great value in that. And one of the interesting things about this particular draft is that we don't even know who the number one overall pick is going to be, or the number two or number three. It it is this this year's draft is such a crapshoot. Doesn't mean that it's a bad draft. I disagree with uh, my pal Mike North, who tweeted out today that this was a uh, uh, not a strong draft. I think it, it could end up being a very strong draft because of the depth that there is, and in fact. Uh, polls talked about that. Um, I would say uh, the O-line depth is pretty good. Um, some good depth with the DBs. There's a couple of defensive linemen. Uh, the running back class may not be top heavy, but there's like a ton. It's crazy how many running backs are. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the COVID year. A lot of those guys are kicking back. So at middle to bottom, definitely in a free agency, there's a massive amount of players. That's why it took so much time to get the board set, not only at the top, but at the bottom. There are a lot of players on this board. Let me uh, let me bring in our good buddy, uh, Mr. Johnny Santucci. First, I got to remove your face off the screen here. By the way, I used a new picture of you, Dan. This is one of, well, good. This is one of your pictures from maybe five years ago. You look so handsome in that picture. Uh, listen to you. <laughs> There he is. This is Johnny Santucci. How are you, brother? I'm doing well. What's happening, Aldo? Barflies, Danny. What's up, Mr. Santucci? Uh, just uh, you know, sitting in the back room, watching the chat room, listening to the uh, conversation. Ryan Poles uh, giving his little spiel. All the uh, draft uh, excitement is in the air. Do anything that Paul said in any of those sound bites really strike you as something interesting, Tooch, that you wanted to comment on, or, or, or is at this point this is all kind of hot air? You want to see the draft? You you you're more, much more interested in seeing the results of his, of his hard work than uh, what he has described as the hard work that that he and his scouting team has done. Yeah, you know, uh, he uh, I, I like the uh, the the thought. Uh, I can't remember where I read read it, but uh, he kind of. Uh, did like a blind like player ranking with his scouts and stuff so that they wouldn't have any of the uh, baggage of, you know, giving their uh, picks out in front of everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was interesting and stuff. And uh, all of the, now, let, me, uh, let me explain that a little bit more yeah. because what they did, Dan uh, and, and listeners is they, 
uh, put up players from their board and they uh, did this uh, silent uh, poll. You know, you don't, don't raise your hands. You would use your cell phone to put in order the players that they liked best at a certain position. So they would go, you know, let's say a defensive tackle. Do you like this guy at number one or number two or number three? And then you would put that into your phone and to see what the results. And he was really happy that there was sort of, in most cases, a unanimous feel on that. And then they did it horizontally uh, to see, you know, who's the number one player on their board, two, three, four, five. And I thought that was a very interesting exercise. I'm glad you brought that up, Tooch. Yeah, it was really interesting. I don't know. I don't know whether I, I read it on on the Bears website. Uh, but uh, he's he's got sort of a unique approach, I think, going into this, you know, where he's engaging the scouts, you know, it's sort of in, not only just the traditional way, which he talked about how he's he's more of a tra- – that's what, that's what struck me as the most interesting, was that he's more of a traditional scout, you know, and uh, even though uh, he's innovating in different ways, it's still that – that's still kind of a traditional uh, approach as well, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's new, it's, it's, it's involved – uh, traditionally, and you know, scouting tape—that's the biggest thing. You know, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's like Cliff says; he's been involved in meetings where people are, are afraid to say what they really yeah. think. Polls fix that by d- doing this anonymously, and you know, I, and I hope that they can get to a point where they don't have to do it anonymously. Yeah. But clearly, you know, every scout in there, except maybe one. Uh, it wasn't somebody that he hired. And so he needs to build that trust. I, I eventually would like to see a culture at Hallis Hall where people will say, hey, Ryan, I think you screwed up here. Here's why. And, you know, keep it professional. Uh, uh, but it's too early to trust that. So this particular tactic that they use to get player evaluations, I thought was was very clever. Yeah, Cl- Cliff made my point. That's what I was trying to see. He just said it better, you know. I just, <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. Like bring it out anonymously, where they could kind of uh, speak what's really on their minds. Yeah, exactly. Do you, you like that idea, Dan? The an- the anonymity with the scouts, I think, is is just brilliant. So like mm-hmm. you said, no one has rapport with him yet. So in this instance, they can say what they really want to say and not have some kind of chilling effect over their heads. So I thought that was a great idea. You know, and if uh, let's beat Ryan Pace uh, at least a few more times before this draft is over. You know, if Ryan Pace would have done that with his head coach, John Fox, regarding the Mitchell Trubisky thing, maybe he would have heard uh, John Fox's concerns about Trubisky and instead a Patrick Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson would have been drafted. Let's remember that uh, uh, Pace really had it narrowed down between Trubisky and Mahomes. He didn't even take Watson out to dinner, uh, which was is a disgrace in of in and of itself to not. Maybe he heard about butthole pleasures before. <laughs> <laughs> this guy has a G spot in his ass. I don't know. I don't trust him. It's like it's like Greg Greg says. Sometimes they learn stuff about players and they take their name off the board. We don't even have his name on the board. Yeah, so that could have been the case with Watson. But if if he would have had the trust and the confidence to listen to John Fox's concerns, then maybe you know history is different. Maybe it's Patrick Mahomes, who was my favorite quarterback coming out of the draft. I'll say it for the five thousandth time. Uh, maybe he would have been a Chicago Bear. Dan, you still hate Patrick Mahomes, though, right? <laughs> no, I just I hate all the the dick sucking that everyone does for him. 
and lets him get away with so many things. But like I said, I think you're seeing that now as their talent starts to sort of decrease in KC. I think you're going to see a 30 interception season from that guy sooner than later. You know what, Tooch, we'll have to do a show in the future about prop bets like that because, you know, I wouldn't say 30 interceptions, but yeah, you know, 20, 25 interceptions could definitely be in his future because that was the big knock on Mahomes coming out of college is that he could get too erratic at times. And once he got erratic, his uh, his mechanics would just go all over the place and there was a lot of inaccuracies. Somebody uh, – a year ago, even before last season, put together a highlight of all the near interceptions that Patrick Mahomes had. Uh, and there were a lot of like drop passes by cornerbacks. And you could say that for like every NFL quarterback. I know you could say you could have said it for Mitchell Trubisky, but um, still it was alarming to see this like maybe 25 possible interceptions that Mahomes could have had. But if it wasn't for the butterfingers of the uh, of the opponent's hands, that was uh, quite something to see. We'll see. That's that's going to be an interesting thing to follow, Tooch. You could see at the end of the season with Mahomes, like he was always trying to do too much, you know, especially mm-hmm. in the in the playoff games and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, towards the end, the, the AFC championship game. Which, you know, he tried to do way too much, you know, try to where, – where there was no play, make a play, you know, fit it in there, you know, use his arm talent. But, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, who knows? They don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. They're a little less dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. You know, me, that that prop prop bet uh, might be uh, something to look at. Uh, yeah. interceptions. <laughs> well, and, uh, and don't forget the naggy factor. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. again, that they may be 40 because of that naggy. <laughs> Could you imagine if they they allowed uh, Nagy to call the plays? <laughs> it would be oh, funny. I I so hate this fucking offense. I just I can't say it enough. Mm-hmm. When it's you know fourth and inches, and you're in the shotgun, I just I it just baffles the mind. It's like you you can't do anything that's smart or easy just because you have to show everyone how smart and how big your dick is all the time. Mm-hmm. I just I fucking hate this Kansas City offense. I hope it goes straight to hell. I love it when you get mad. It's so sexy. It's so <laughs> horrible, man. How many? You remember that game against Minnesota at the end of the year when we could have won in fourth and one from the goal line two different times, and he has Dalton in the shotgun, and and one of those sequences got sacked for like a twelve yard loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just give it to David Montgomery. Yep. How hard is that? Mm-hmm. Or go play action. Mm. Fake it. Why do you have to be in a shotgun? Okay, I'm off my fucking soapbox. Oh, I love it, man. I I can't stand Kansas City's scheme. And Andy Reid just kind of fell into this shit because if you remember, when he was in Philadelphia, every year he got in the playoffs, he got fucking scared and tight and wouldn't let McNabb throw the ball. Mm -hmm. And all they did was run the ball. So he got to Kansas City and he implemented that, well, uh, we'll play that, you know, we'll pass short as a running like a West coast to the point where we're going to just throw short, you know, and let that count as our runs. And then that evolved in, well, we're going to throw a lot more deep now. And he just sort of evolved and fell into this passing every down and being so aggressive. Cause again, before he was ultra conservative mm-hmm. in both instances, he's on the extremes, the extreme conservative and the extreme aggressive, yeah. in my opinion. Well, it's a good opinion. Foster cover says naggied that definition, a player who has been under naggy improper house. <laughs> That's good. Uh, um, speaking of trading up, we were talk, talking about trading up a little while ago. Um, 
Pulse was asked that during the press conference. He gave this response. Yeah, it comes back down to your board. So there's different values on your board. And if you have certain players that are in a certain section of the board and it makes sense for your team at that time, um, then that's what, something you have to do at the right time. But I think you have to know kind of where your team's at and how many picks you have. And, and it's a big picture decision because uh, there is an effect of losing picks to move up and get that, that player. It's interesting that he didn't rule it out. And of course he wouldn't, you know, you got to take every phone call that's made uh, to potentially move up. But he said something there that I thought was interesting about the board, that part of the board, I think was the quote. And I think that, you know, the the board is very intricate and, and they probably have a column for positions that they think there isn't a lot of depth and, or maybe a, and or a column that is about, players they truly covet you know this guy would be worthy if he fell like to the top of the second round this guy you know uh, might be worthy moving up a few spots to really nail him and we know some of the other teams have a need at that position um i again feel that because there's so much in this draft you you if you're going to trade up and, and lose draft assets when you really need a lot of players it's it's it, it, you better better hit a home run. I mean, not even a home run. You got to hit fucking grand slam, uh, it, 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 for it, for at bats because that that is so critical. Um, this team. I mean, it, he even said it afterwards or, or, or during the press conference. They are going to sign a lot of undrafted free agents, and that's a problem. Why? Because there's only, as Greg explained to us earlier today on his show, Gabriel Talks Football, GTF, there's only there's a limited pool of money allocated to every team for these undrafted free agents. So if you have if you're gonna sign a bunch of them, then that money is watered down. And so you might miss out on some really good uh, prospects, undrafted prospects. Because you're not, you don't have the funding that other teams might have to acquire those guys. Again, it's part of the fucking mess that Ryan Pace left. Uh, you know, as much as Dan dislikes uh, 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 Matt Nagy, I I dislike and Ryan I Pace. And I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I dislike Ryan Pace more than you dislike uh, Matt Nagy. <laughs> we'll have to I have came, a, I came I, after I, all I, of them. Richie Kotite is our coach than uh, Matt Nagy. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, let's see. I got more sound bites here, but I think I've played everything. Oh, let's one more. Um, this was about uh, Justin Fields and trying to balance what Justin Fields needs. You know, we, we've all been talking about, I, I've seen a lot of comments in the chat for this show and other shows. Make sure you walk away with two wide receivers who are guys that compete for uh, uh, starting jobs immediately. Well, uh, a post addressed that, and it's, it's a very it's a fascinating response. Anytime you just improve the team overall, um, you're helping all of the players out, uh, and that can look different. I mean, um, you know, you could say, well, he needs receivers, 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 but he needs blocking too, and uh, he also needs balance in terms of running the ball efficiently and, and getting that done up front. And then you can do some play action pass stuff. You can do different things. So. It all touch turnovers, uh, maybe returner, 
to flip the field to score more points. So it's all connected, and that's really why the mindset is to get the best players on this team as possible. If I get too lopsided, be like I got to do this specific thing. I think that's where you lead into big mistakes. And that that leads to my contention that maybe that's a good reason to keep Robert Quinn because if you have Robert Quinn on the team and he can develop uh, deliver a dozen sacks, that in turn is going to help Justin Fields because you're going to get you're likely to get the ball faster, you're likely likely to get better pass, uh, excuse me, field position. So you know it, it's all interconnected. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting that. He, Although this could be one of those misinformation things, they could walk out of this draft with five wide receivers. Um, it, it'll be interesting again to see how this all plays out, guys. <laughs> I agree with you on uh, the Quinn thing. It, it would make us a better team to have him, especially if he can have a season anywhere near the one he had in 2021. But I also see the benefit in trading him as well. So mm-hmm. you can look at it both ways. I think the way people are harping on wide receiver. I, I still feel that the offensive line is the one that I'm most worried about and the one that I would be, you know, if you if you traded up for the kid from Ohio State that played with Fields, I wouldn't be upset at all. But I also wouldn't be upset if their top two picks were linemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I mean, you're talking about a guy who used to play the offensive line position, a guy who was with Kansas City and saw – his team lose a Super Bowl because they did not have offensive line depth after a number of their starters went down. You're you're seeing a guy who is old school, and we know that old school is you build from the line of scrimmage out. So I, I'm with you on that. Um, you know what's interesting here is uh, Don Burr, our resident Detroit Lions fan, uh, uh, a guy who I, I love having here at the bar room. He says, I can't wait to come here Thursday after we smoke the draft and hear all the duck talk, LOL. And I, I got to tell Don this, and, and I know Dan is really, really high on that. I hate Detroit meter, not as much as Green Bay, <laughs> but, you, but you are. No, I don't hate Detroit. Like I said, I, well, I empathize with Detroit. But but don't you hate them just, just because they're in our division? I mean, you want to beat their I ass. I mean, I'm not rooting for them, but like, and I'm not just saying this because Kramer ended up being with us, but in 91, mm-hmm. when they were in the NFC Championship game against Washington, I rooted for Detroit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you, I can't ever think of a game where I rooted for Green Bay uh, unless it was going to help the Bears somehow. Right, right. Well, I, it, the point that I wanted to make regarding the Lions is they have, and, and Don, correct me on this or or, or share with us the, the accurate number, they have, I think, four draft picks in the first, like, 73 picks of this draft. The Bears have three uh, in the first 79, but none in the first round. And my point is that the Lions are in great fucking position to to drastically dramatic – five in the top 100, Don Bursers. They are in position to dramatically improve their team. They're still going to have because the Stafford trade. Because of the Stafford trade, exactly. They're still going to have problems at quarterback. I'm not convinced Goff is capable of uh, of leading that team to the Super Bowl like he did the Rams because the Rams were loaded in so many areas and the lines still aren't there. And the the Rams have really the resident number one coach. Uh, uh, in the NFL and Sean McVay. Everybody's trying to copy the Sean McVay way. But my point is 
the Lions have a great opportunity to leapfrog past the Bears in the standings, make a, a run for the division championship, and I am going to be fascinated to see how they fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, I would say that in theory, I, I like what you said. Though. In theory, I, I always had a special place for Minnesota in my heart because of the Super Bowl losses, because mm-hmm. I empathize with that. Like, you know, you're always losing. Yeah. But if you're going to go through the order, Green Bay is the one I hate the most. Minnesota would be second, and then Detroit would be last because they've just lost so much. And they're not that, I mean, like I said, I feel like. If anything, they should understand us. But I thought the same thing about the Browns fans. And they treated us like us like shit. So I you know, and one of the things though, and Dan, you're a fabulous historian of the Chicago Bears. So but do you recall the animosity between Chicago and Detroit for so many years because of some of the dirty play by the Detroit Lions? And not to say that the Bears didn't engage in some dirty play themselves. But there were guys like Mike Lucci and um, Alex Karras. And these guys, you know, were the type of guys that would fucking bite your nose off when they're in a scrum. You know, they would poke you in the eye like the Three Stooges, you know. Uh, they, 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 these guys were some fucking dirty-ass players. And then I'll never forget, and I know, Dan, you've talked about this before, that moment when Wayne Fonts is smoking that fucking cigar when they got into right. the playoffs on a Monday night game. They weren't playing. Uh, Fonts was watching and, and He's smoking his fucking cigar and rubbing it into Chicago. Oh, I'm getting depressed. I need to change you, the subject. You heard when Eric Kramer was on here. Even Kramer saw that and thought, oh, God, if we have to play them again now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Even Kramer thought, oh, that's too far. You've gone too fucking far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always said over and over if we just somehow, you know, because, again, Jim Harbaugh was in the hospital on the Friday before that Dallas game. Uh, he was sick. Give him credit for playing and being there. And, but he was sick, man. And he had a shitty game. He did. He threw, and we had one chance down 17, 13 with the ball back and he got picked off. If we, I I still think if he'd have been well, or if somehow we, we got that victory against Dallas, that we would have beaten Detroit and we'd have been in the championship game. I I've always thought that. Don is saying that uh, those of us following the old Detroit narrative need to go watch Inside the Dens episode on YouTube. It's a different era in Detroit. Well, see, Don, you know, the only thing that's going to convince me, I don't need to watch, you know, some propaganda film uh, put together by the Detroit Lions organization. I want to see them their play on the field. Dan and I watched the Lions uh, uh, play at Soldier Field this past season. We were s- sitting shoulder to shoulder watching that. That game was lost by Dan Campbell. I mean, you know, the Bears made some really superlative plays. I saw a replay, I think, yesterday of that Darnell Moody 80-some-yard catch, 90-yard catch. Uh, No, it was about an 80-yard catch. Tremendous play. It was coming right at Dan and I. uh, And the the Bears played well in that game. But, Jesus, the the Lions had so many opportunities in the red zone. He just kept going for it on fourth down instead of taking the field goals, and they would have won. They would have won that game, you know. And the the biggest issue, I think, for the Lions this season is that they got to hope that their coach has learned how to coach. (laughs) I I like him, though, in the sense, not what he says, Mm -hmm. but throughout the year, whenever there was a tight play, if I was casually watching in Detroit, like they lost in the Minnesota and shouldn't have but for them to make the comeback and to get that lead Mm -hmm. it took a huge set of balls 
But unfortunately, Minnesota got the ball back with like 20 seconds to go and still came back down the field and won. But yeah, uh, give Campbell credit for at least having the temerity to go for it on fourth down. But in that game at Soldier Field, it just happened to cost them. Because the thing was, Prater's a very good kicker. Yes. And they were these were chip shots not only for Matt Prater, but even for like Cody Parkey, they were cheap uh, <laughs> chip shots. <laughs> yeah, there would have been like 25-yard field goals, and he he turned down like three or four of them. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm 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 the jury's still out for me on on this head coach. You know, to me, he's gonna make a ton of money on television because he he does come across as the kind of guy who could be the next John Madden on TV. You know, you see that play there, Pat, you know, he was uh, uh, breaking their kneecaps or whatever. He's got such a uh, a charismatic type personality, but stories that he didn't know certain rules, some of the time clock management stuff. If he doesn't get that shit straightened out, and he's got to go. What's Don saying about uh, Campbell? Campbell wasn't coaching to win. He's coaching to build culture. Get, get out of here. <laughs> Let's build a losing culture. <laughs> Come on. you got to win games. That's the way you build a culture. Culture is so overrated. Really I mean, is. that's what we said with John Fox. That's what we said with Matt Nagy about at least the culture is not as bad as it was when Mark Tressman was here. And if you look at Detroit, they were kind of saying the same thing when uh, the fucker from New England got there with the beard. What's his name again? Um, uh, uh, Patricia. Patricia. Uh, Remember when Patricia got there, he was making, he was taking away their parking spots and mm-hmm. doing it the Patriots' way, and was going to be tough on them because they needed discipline, and 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 that's what they were going to need to win, and and it was a complete and utter disaster. Mm-hmm. So culture is kind of overrated. It's only in the extreme example when it really falls apart that you feel desperate to have a good culture. I mean, and that being the 2014 year with Trestman mm-hmm. where the team later either of those guys knew what culture was Fox and Maggie. What was I that? Don't... I don't think either of those guys knew what good culture was. Well, I, I do think that Fox did a nice job of changing the culture. I mean, you remember those, those years prior to Fox. I mean, that, with Brandon Marshall yelling at Robbie Gold, and you know it was a mess. I think the only value of culture is the type of culture that you know, a guy that I hate, and I know Dan hates, uh, uh, Bill uh, 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 Belichick at uh, New Jim England. Jim McMahon hates him too. <laughs> That's right. He sure enough fucking does. I mean, <laughs> you got to build a culture because these guys are all alpha males, and so you've got to build a culture of responsibility, accountability, and playing for each other. And one of my favorite co- quotes, and I think it's one of the favorite quotes of all time, capturing Bill Belichick on the sideline. Do your fucking job. That's the culture you need to build. You don't need to build a culture of, you know, being super tough and you're going to fucking bite guys, guys in the knees and all that shit. You don't fucking need that. You need a culture of accountability. And then after that, you let these raging animals play their fucking f- football game in a controlled chaos type of culture. Well, let me just play devil's advocate. Please. I can't say that I'm disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to you know, spice it up here Ooh, on the show. I like that. Maybe Dan Campbell is their version of Mike Ditka. You know, a lot yeah. of bravado, a lot of toughness, but there was accountability with Ditka. But still, he had a lot of over-the-top shit to say, especially early on. Mm-hmm. Not as dumb as what Campbell was saying last year in that opening press conference about, 
I'm gonna hit you with the pedigree and a power bomb and all these wrestling shit. Mm-hmm. But whatever he said, but the point is maybe he's their Ditka. I think that's a huge stretch, but I'm just saying maybe. No, actually, I that thought crossed my mind too, uh, Dan, is and that there is value of having somebody come in with that kind of Ditka mentality. The problem that I have with Campbell, and I, in those years with, with Ditka, man, I would watch each Bears game, you know, multiple times because, first of all, they were winning, and it was enjoyable to watch them multiple times. But even before they, they the 84-85 season when they turned things around, I don't recall Ditka making the type of coaching errors Campbell did at Detroit, you know, not knowing certain rules, uh, clock management issues. It's a different NFL now. You know, but I, I just don't remember Ditka being as bumbling as Campbell came off uh, in his rookie season. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I'm looking at history distorted. I I agree with that. I think that's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. But uh, at least Campbell's giving you his heart. I don't want to keep defending Detroit, but at least uh, you know that I d- I don't think this bravado shit from him is fake. No, I, I don't think that's think so. just who he is. I don't Absolutely. think he's not trying to be Donald Trump where he was just trying so desperately to make you think he's tough. Mm-hmm. I feel like Dan Campbell probably would whip some ass and I, probably I totally is tough. Do. So yeah. I think he's being himself. And again, I don't hate Detroit. The only reason I I would hope that they lose all their games is because it would help us. So mm-hmm. if they were in the AFC Central or AFC North, I'm sorry, I, I wouldn't give a shit if they were winning. I mean, it'd be good. Okay, fine. I have nothing against the city of Detroit. I agree with you. Dan Campbell seems to me to be a totally authentic and genuine person. I also agree with Nomad, who writes in the chat, Dan Campbell's a meathead. Meathead. That's like what gets him in trouble. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right. I think I have uh, played out all of the sound. I still have some, but I, I think we've, we, we've, we can move on. I wanted to share with you guys um, like sort of a wish list of draft picks that, man, oh, man, I wish these guys could fall to us with the 39th pick or the 48th pick or whatever it is, or, or even a day three. I wish this guy, you know, uh, who a lot of people are thinking could be a day two pick, I wish he would fall to day three. So a few names. I'll get through this pretty quickly unless there's a, a lot of reaction in the chat. Excuse me for burping. Um, first player, um, darn it. And I put it in the wrong place. It is coming right up. Let's take a look at the offensive line position. Offensive line, um, the Trevor Penning or Charlie Cross are hands down considered first round picks. There's, it will be highly, highly unlikely Unless something happens. I mean, if it, maybe there's a video of Charlie Cross wearing a gas mask doing, doing some really good dope. And if, if that's the case, I'm drafting him at number 39 because he's just probably, you know, uh, he's is certifiably a first-round talent. So if, if a guy like Trevor Penning or Charlie Cross f- fell to – the second round, I'm like, I'm like saying, all right, this is a done decision. I don't care who else is on the board. 
grab one of those guys. Welcome to Fantasy Island. <laughs> you got that right, brother. <laughs> and then another guy that I really like a lot, and 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 actually uh, Danny Shimon likes him too, but he doesn't think he is worthy of a second-round pick because he's a developmental guy. But Greg Gabriel says that this guy really has first-round talent. He does not agree with with uh, Danny's uh, opinion on Bernard uh, Rainman, and it is true that he is still a developing player. He's developing his strength and technique, but he is the epitome of what Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus have said they want in offensive linemen, an athlete, a fluid athlete who, who can react well and, and can match the speed of the NFL. Uh, he's a little older. Uh, as uh, Dane Brugler writes in his beast, he's a little older uh, than you'd want for a rookie, but I don't give a fuck. You know, the guy can play. He's 25 years old. He, that still makes him a 10-year player in my book. You, you see what the left tackle, what the Rams did, the guy that just re- retired, Whitworth, he played, what, till 39? No, it's a different And NFL. conversely, we drafted a very young James Daniels, and we just let him walk. Exactly. What was, he, what was he, 20 when he started? He was, I think, I remember yeah, 20. That. Used to talk about it all the time. I think it was nineteen or twenty. Yeah, was twenty. Yeah, twenty-five. So what? Yeah, it wasn't even old enough to drink, and uh, we drafted him. And I, I'm still crossing my fingers we didn't make a big mistake on that. But Rainman hasn't played that long. He doesn't have a ton of experience. He came to uh, college as a tight end. He was light, mm-hmm. put on the weight, and converted to offensive tackle. He's Austrian, like Arnold. He's Austrian, exactly. So <laughs> he, he almost kind of reminds me a little bit of a, of a Kyle Long type player because they say that he plays with a mean streak too. So yeah. I'm all in on Bernard Raymond. He falls to round two. All right, go get him. Uh, because I, 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 I understand what Danny is saying, and I think there's truth to that, that he's going to need a year or two to be a true starting talent. But the skill set is there for this guy to yeah. be a dominating left tackle. Um, and then at number three, at no, Penning and, and Cross, I had tied at one because it's so improbable that any one of them will be available in the second round. So uh, number three, Tyler Smith. Uh, this is another guy who needs time to develop, but my God, he is, he, he has great play strength. He's got physical traits. He's, he's, he needs to improve some of his mental aspects and technical aspects of the game, but that's why you hire coaches. Um, he may not be ready to play right away. Some people say, I personally think that you can, especially given the chat. You can play guard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think this guy is 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 necessary. And uh Nicholas Petit for Ferrer, this guy should definitely be available in round two. And, um, but I put him on the list because I think he deserves a lot more credit, uh more positive grades than I've been seeing in drafts where I've actually seen him fall to round three. I think he's a round two talent. I like Georgia players for the most part. I think he's a guy who could come in here and help the team almost immediately. And then the kid out of uh, Kentucky, he's an inside offensive lineman, Darian Kennard. But, oh, my gosh, this guy is a flesh-eating offensive lineman. He does not take shit. He's got a mean streak on him, but doesn't necessarily take bad penalties. He's got a lot to work on in his game, which is why he's not a first-round talent. But, man, 
he's on my wish list. I really, really w- would love to see one of these six offensive linemen uh, become a Chicago Bear by the end of this week, by really by the end of uh, uh, Friday. So we shall see. Any thoughts on that, Tooch? I know you followed, been following uh, the draft a little. Yeah, uh, Trevor Panning, of course, you know, he's uh, played college ball in Cedar Falls at Northern Iowa. Uh, like him, I don't think he'll make it out of the first round to Charlie Cross. Probably one of the top two or three offensive tackles in the draft, probably. Uh, Tyler Smith, uh, like that pick, you know. Uh, Nicholas Pettifrosi, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, played with Justin Fields, but, you know. <laughs> Ohio State or is that Georgia? I, I thought he was Ohio State, but. Uh, You're wrong. I've made mistakes before. But what do you think about Kennard from Kentucky? Kennard, yeah, he's a mauler. I like uh, uh, Aaron Kurt was talking about him on uh, Barfly Tailgate. Well, he loves him. He's from Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, so. yep. <laughs> give him, give, give Aaron a Kentucky player. Is, is Petty Fair Ohio State? Uh, let me check. I haven't checked on that. Thanks. Okay. I thought he was Ohio State, but, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's a guy who uh, Justin Fields is uh, familiar with. If I'm thinking of the same guy, the. Uh, left tackle on the Buckeyes. Oh, let me see. Yeah, he's Ohio State. Yeah. Well, my bad. I say Ohio Ohio State. I I believe everybody in the chat, they're much smarter than I am. Um, All right. So, done with the offensive linemen there. Mm -hmm. Let me look at another. I I basically did three position groups. I I like the Rain Man kid, you know. Oh, uh, my gosh. You can, if he can develop, you know, he could be a, you know, one of those guys that you're looking at, you know, as a bordering on uh, making the Pro Bowl. He's just got some raw talent. He's a good athlete and stuff, you know, left mm-hmm. tackle, left tackle traits. Yep. As long as we're not getting Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Rayman reference. Rayman. You like that movie, Dan? No. <laughs> if he would have if he would have said yes i would have been very surprised all day <laughs> i mean that's too close to reality who wants to watch a guy that well i don't know what well, he was on the spectrum i don't know what exactly it was i mean but fuck autism yeah yeah it's just that's so painful to watch i mean yeah. i don't know it's just one of those movies that just wins like bill maher is always saying that they always pick movies that are you, know, you can't just pick a big movie. It's got to be about somebody that's deaf or somebody that's impotent. Right? Right. <laughs> it's like, it's uh, another well, one of those movies. They had we'll to talk, make it. We'll talk about that movie play. later, Aldo. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, what was that movie? Was it Tropic Thunder? Never go full, uh, you know. Was it? I don't want to say it. I never, saw, Tropic never Tropic saw Tropic Thunder. Thunder. No? Okay. I saw it. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point the is that. Playing, uh, playing like like handicapped people could get could, could get the Oscar. That was what mm-hmm. like Dustin Hoffman won for Rain Man, right? I think he did. I think yeah. he did. Poor, poor Tom Cruise was overlooked again. All right, let me move on to wide receivers. Uh, my five: Christian Watson. Uh, uh, hold on a second there. For, uh, Christian Watson, Jalen Tolbert. Sky Moore, Jahan Dotson, and Traylon Burks. Real quickly, Christian Watson is that speedster, really tall guy from North Dakota State University. Greg is is convinced he's going to be a a late first-round pick, that there's no way the Packers or the Kansas City Chiefs will let him go by uh, if he's available. And both of those teams, I think think the Chiefs, too, have two late first-rounders. I know the Packers do. 
Jalen Talbert from, I think it's South Alabama. Uh, this guy, was a, Shimon and Stopchinski introduced me to him. And look at I looked at his tape. The guy is just a phenomenal football player. I think a lot of people have him like going in the third round. I think if he's there in the second round, you just make sure you get him. Sky Moore is another speedy, you know, kind of a, a kind of like Tariq Cohen, just to, even though he's not as small as Tariq Cohen, but he is a smaller receiver, but he's just an electrifying player. Jahan Dotson is one of these kind of Cooper Cup players from Penn State. And then Traylon Burks, who a lot of people have been saying he's definitely going to be a first-rounder. But after his performance at the Combine, where his uh, 40 was closer to 4.6 than 4.4, uh, a lot of people are seeing him drop out of the first round. I'm not that high on him, but I got to admit that his reel is pretty impressive, what he does after the catch. Um, I, I'd like to have a speedier core wide receivers and Watson, Tolbert, more and more are that. Dotson, again, is not as speedy as those first three, but definitely gets the job done with outstanding route running. What do you think, Dan? You like any of these guys? I know you've been studying them. <laughs> I I was more impressed with the offensive line talk. Okay. And not that I'm bored about the wide receiver. I just feel like we're more, to me, I just, I, I think that the offensive line is more of a position of need. I, but I, I could be argue. wrong. I'm certainly not the draft expert. I'm not Danny Shimon. But you I'm just but, Dan, and I'm not Mr. Oh, he's fucking I agree with I Dan. A, an intro for him. Neil, Neil Truss. Uh, Neil, how do you say Neil's last name? Stop Chinsky. Okay. Well, I'm not him either. And I'm not <laughs> Greg Gabriel. But I can say that to me, I agreed with your assessment on the line. If we could get two of those guys, it would be incredible. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Hell fucking yeah. yeah. And I, I saw somebody in the uh, chat say, we need more guards than tackles. I, I you know, I, I'm focused. I haven't really been focused that much on guards. I've been focused on tackles because if generally if a player fails at tackle, you can move them inside. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if in 2023 you've got Jenkins and Borum as the two guards for this team. And, and I would feel really good about it too. Um uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that Tevin Jenkins will end up being a, a good right tackle, but uh, tackles sometimes are a little bit harder to find because of the foot speed necessary for that position. Uh, so uh, that's why I've been kind of focused on uh, offensive tackles more than offensive guards, but I'm not going to argue with you or anyone uh, regarding, you know, what is more necessary for this team, a guard or a tackle. Yeah, All right. Yeah, I, I agree with I agree. Dan. With the offensive line mm -hmm. uh, and I think polls does too oh, uh, yeah. you know uh, what's interesting is uh, when you look at the draft uh, both offensive tackles and wide receivers they come with a, a extra baggage should we say not like personal baggage but they command higher salaries as they go through progress through their careers like cornerbacks you know uh, these are the positions edge rushers pass rushers these positions they get the big bucks when their contract comes up. So uh, what teams seem, uh, I'm not sure, but teams seem to be doing is grabbing those positions in the first round because it comes with an extra contract year. So uh, they're, 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 the, thus those positions get pushed up higher in the draft, you know, mm -hmm. and the first round draft picks are those, you know, positions, usually offensive tackle, left tackle, primarily, mm -hmm. cornerback, edge, wide receiver, uh, and quarterback. 
In fact, you know, this this uh, draft is odd because this might be the first year in quite a long while that there won't be a quarterback in the top 10. That's now, amazing. It, 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 you always see quarterbacks at the top. How many pass, you know, we're talking about which quarterback, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. Now, this year we're not talking about any quarterbacks in the top 10. I, th- mm-hmm. I find that really interesting. And I I will be shocked if not at least one team uh, uh, picks a quarterback or, or or trades it into the top ten to select a quarterback. Uh, who is the the, uh, uh, the 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 quarterback who has lately been moving up uh, draft charts? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Malik uh, Malik is a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions traded their late first round pick to move up to to su- select him. Uh, Don Burr, if you're in the chat room, what do you think about that assessment? But yeah, you're right. Uh, this is a, a weak year for quarterbacks. Like Greg Gabriel said, let's hope that four or five of them, though, are selected in the first round because that means players that we desire, players that we need, are going to fall to us at 39. So that's a great point. You might see some of these guys that really aren't first round picks get picked at the tail end of the first round just because of that extra contract year. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't, by, by the way, uh, Foster is asking you too, to what uh, Dieter Iceland been up to. We need to get him yeah. on the show. Yeah, uh, he. Uh, I, I I thought he moved to center. Mm-hmm. You know, I was taking reps at center. He's still on the roster. Yeah. So uh, uh, he'll be one of the backup offensive linemen with a chance to compete. You know, maybe he maybe he moves into one of those guard positions. Who knows? You know, I mean, the, the Bears, Ryan Poles and the coaching staff, offensive line coach might know something that we don't know. They might be they they might be thinking, hey, we got some guys that we could plug in at guard. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to draft a guard, you know, because fans really they want us to draft. They want to draft a guard. And there's some good uh, there's some good guards in this draft, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like we always say in bar room, man, you could find guards, you know, uh, late in the draft that turn out to be you know. You got undrafted free agents, six round picks making Pro Bowls at guard. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe uh maybe they're not really looking at guard in this draft. You might be really surprised to see uh maybe the first round picks the corner or a second round, the fifth bears first pick is a cornerback. Yeah, you know, if guys like uh uh, uh McCreary or uh uh God, what's that other guy's name? Uh the kid from Washington. Uh, K- Kyler Gordon. Kyler Gordon. One of those guys falls the second round. So it'll be awful tough for uh, Ryan Poles to pa- pass one of those guys up. Exactly. You know, another, another How about guy- this scenario, Aldo? Mm-hmm. Uh, you love Quentin Nelson so much, and I'm not mocking that at all. Mm-hmm. This has got to be year five for him. Is he a free agent after this year? Uh, yeah, they. I, I'm pretty sure they're. He's he's on the same contract as Roquan Smith, so. Uh, well, maybe you can. We could sign your guy in twenty three. There's a chance of that. I actually was talking yeah. to Greg Grable about that. He, you know, he's good friends with uh, the general manager over at Indianapolis. He doesn't think that they're going to let Quentin Nelson get away. Uh, but if he does, he would be worth every penny he's going to get because he's going to get probably the largest contract ever awarded an offensive lineman, and it's going to shock people because it's a guard. Although there has been even talk that they might move him out to the tackle position because he's just so goddamn good and, and versatile. But I think they're going to keep him inside. The value of guards in today's passing offenses is is, is really high. 
But yeah, I hear you, Dan. If he's available as a free agent, you, we're gonna have a lot of uh, cap space. So yeah, I mean, let's let's go after him. I, I, he would be a great addition. And speaking of the cornerbacks that you were talking about, uh, uh, Tooch, uh, here you are got my, some listed here, there. All right, yeah, here's my five that I are my, are my wish list. First of all, Kair Elam. I think I got that pronunciation correctly, but he's a guy who has not been talked about much at all here at the barroom. It's funny that uh, uh, Shimon and Stopchinski have not really done a a formal evaluation of him. Greg hasn't either on our draft shows, but this is a guy when I first stumbled onto his tape, because I was cross sectioning, you know, top cornerbacks. And and then I, I go look at tape this is a guy who, to me, is a superb player. He's got great size. He's got great uh, speed. Uh, Dane Brugler over at the Athletics says he is NFL ready. He's physical to play the press man position, but can also play that cover two kind of zone position. If he falls to round two, and knowing like Greg has been pounding the table saying we've got to get a cornerback in round two, because this is a passing league now and you need corners. And I totally, totally agree with him, especially if you don't, you don't have Khalil Mack anymore to help with that pass rush. So you need those corners who can stick with guys uh, a a second longer, who can uh, play that zone at a high level. Kair Elam is, is an outstanding uh, prospect who I would love to see wearing a Chicago bears uniform. Tooch, have you seen any of his tape? Yeah, the, the Florida usually spits out good cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, he's another one. Uh, yeah, he's got good height, weight, speed, uh, mm-hmm. good impressed coverage. You know, uses his length. Uh, that would be great. I, he might be there too. You know, I, I, their second pick. Uh, yeah, he but, might uh, be, he, but I see him going in a lot of mocks in the first round, and he's rarely available in round two. But I wouldn't be surprised if he is available, and if, if so, and then you let's say you got a choice between Bernard Rainman and and Elam, wow, that would be a tough choice. I would probably go with offensive linemen, but I would also study who's drafting behind men behind yeah. me. Do they need offensive linemen? And if not, then maybe take that corner and then hope that. Bernard Raymond is is there available with that second second round pick? That's going to be an interesting thing. There might be people or teams that don't want to take a chance on a developmental prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to take a team that's going to be willing to wait a year or two. Mm-hmm. You know, get them coached up, trained up. You know, and all that. That's another fascinating thing about the NFL draft is you have to study the tendencies of other general managers what have they done in the past what are they likely to do if they're a new general manager where do they come from what have they done what have their organizations done in the past uh so that's going to be interesting when people do that about ryan poles they're going to really have a hard time assessing that because even though poles was was just with one team the chiefs he was under a a number of different uh uh, general managers working under a, a different general manager so he might bring in his own unique style in drafting I'll go quickly with the four other names, Kyler Gordon from Washington, Cam Taylor-Britt, Roger McCreary, and Tariq Woolen. Just a note about Roger McCreary, because I know our guy Jordan Silveria, who uh, is often uh, here in the chat, uh, he's been having debates with Greg Gabriel. 
the thing about Roger is he's got very short arms. He would have the shortest arms, arm length of any cornerback in the NFL if he became a starter for the Chicago Bears. And that turns good. off yeah, that turns off Greg Gabriel. Now Jordan says, I understand that, but He's Look got incredible – yeah, exactly. He's gone up against SEC wide receivers and held his own against these guys. And it was interesting. They were going back and forth earlier in our show. And I, I think, to me, Greg kind of got him with the checkmate. He said, if you are an NFL scout, are you going to gamble on on on, on – on this once-in-a-lifetime kind of guy, a once-in-a-generation type guy, a, a short-arm cornerback being a, a top NFL player, or are you going to go with a safer pick like a Bernard Rayman or a Christian Watson at wide receiver or something like that? That's that's a tough, tough argument. We'll, we'll see how that turns out. And then the other one that I, I like. I, I have a – can I – Can I? Uh, <laughs> so I have a, a similar story of myself and Greg Gabriel. Oh, with, excellent. Uh, or a couple of years back where I liked Quandre Diggs, a player mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the Bears to take. And he didn't like him because he was too small. But mm-hmm. this guy's a Pro Bowl, so Pro Bowl's at safety now. So, mm-hmm. and, but, uh, you know, it, 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 you never know. You know, that's yeah. the, the main point is that we don't know. You know, we're, exactly. we're projecting. Yeah. That, so, that's yeah, just I, what I, the problem. I asked him about Quandre Diggs on Twitter because I like the prospect. You know, get a mm-hmm. good ball skills, no ball hawk. You know, and uh, uh, he didn't like him. Uh, I liked mm-hmm. him. So, yeah, uh, but, uh, Greg is not a big fan of the uh, the Mickey Mouse or or Mighty yep. Mouse type of players. Right, the smaller guys. Right. Yeah. And then just a quick note on the fifth guy here, Tariq Woolen. Tariq Woolen is definitely a prospect. He. To me, has is definitely if he's available in the third round and you haven't picked a cornerback already, he's the guy to go get. He probably will not be ready to start day one. Maybe he will, but he will contribute right away in some way. This is a guy who has outstanding speed, incredible height for a cornerback, incredible uh, uh, tape. Uh, he's put together so many uh, things that you but you can't expect him in 2022 to come in. And, and play at a super high level. He's He needs coaching. He needs a little development. But I really, really like this guy a lot. And if he's available in round three, got to go get him. He's one of my fantasy do picks. We, we, do we have a third? We don't have a fourth round pick, right? There's a, Correct. Correct. Okay. We've I couldn't got, remember. I know Tariq Woolen's from a real small school. Yeah. Uh, Texas San Antonio. But uh, well, I guess they're, they're not that small. They're pretty good. The road runners. Meet, meet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's a guy you might be able to get later on, you know, maybe uh, uh, in the third round, like you said. But yeah, I think we got to add a corner. Yeah. Uh, Dan, from a position standpoint, um, we had on, by the way, uh, Dan uh, Sanjay Jovanovic, our, our pal. Who ah, was, yeah, that's the guy that always messages me on Twitter. Yeah, we had him on our our, our mock draft with uh, Barflies, and he. Uh, he, he admitted, I don't really follow the draft, but I'd like to come on and share with you the positions of need. So, Dan, I'll ask you, what are if you were drafting out of position of needs, what position would be first, second, third, and fourth or fifth? First would be offensive line. Second would be corner. Mm-hmm. I I don't 
have any faith in uh, Vildor, and I don't think Jalen Johnson is as good as we make him out to be. Mm. I hope to be wrong. Me and too. personally, <laughs> I would think if we're if we're all about getting these one-year contracts for right now as stop gaps, I don't know why we haven't called Kyle Fuller back. Yeah, I, uh, he would there. flourish. Say it again. He's out there. Yeah, and he could flourish in a cover too. Yeah. I mean. Uh, and obviously he would do us well. I think he would be better. He would instantly be the number one corner on the team. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with Dan, man. I, I'm not the only one that thinks Jalen Johnson is a little bit overrated. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to see what the, what the, the chat room says, but uh, people are low. I don't, I mean, we don't hear his name called too often during the game. So I guess that's, the, the best thing about it, right? Well, and I think part of that is because they throw to the other cornerback. Right, more. they throw to the other cornerback. So, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll have to watch more Jalen Johnson. Admittedly, I don't uh, pay attention to him. Yeah, I, uh, but I, he's the best guy we got. Bottom line. So Dan, I would say the, safety's third. Safety is third. That is interesting. You're putting that above wide receiver. Yes, I am because again we still have Darnell Mooney, right? Right. Uh, we've got your your friend with the suspended license, Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I still think we could get something out of St. Brown. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I'm not saying the wide receiver position isn't of uh, of need. No, don't I, get me I, wrong, I but I don't think. Eddie Jackson's our best safety, right? And well, Eddie Jackson, in my opinion, isn't a very good safety. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, we let Dion Bush go. He was our best backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think the he secondary and offensive line are the number one positions of need. Uh, wide receiver is after that. I mean, to me, the only positions we, we should have on quote-unquote lockdown right now would be the running back position, the quarterback position. Uh, and that's uh, assuming field stays healthy. Mm-hmm. And I guess Simeon's the backup. I assume we're still trying to trade Nick Folds. I, I don't know. But I, I would think that linebacker, unless we trade Quinn, should be okay. Mm-hmm. And you know why? Why not bring back Akeem Hicks on a one-year deal if he would take it and, and solidify your front floor too? So, Man, yeah, I would damn, although. Please you know how long I've been saying uh, safety. We got to get stronger up the middle at safety and stuff. But I think mm-hmm. maybe I know I know people in the chat room, Bears fans overall, are saying, "Hey, you know, there's a lot of safeties out there in free agency that we could just pick up. We don't need to spend a draft pick on safety." But let me tell you one thing: uh, there's one safety in here whose draft stock is plummeting right now. He ran a four seven something at his pro day. I'm talking about Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame, who's just an absolute stud during the season. If he's there at 39. You got to think pretty hard about drafting this guy, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. nobody's taking a safety in the first round, I don't think, you know? But there's some good ones in the second round, man. Both Georgia safeties can play, man. Yeah. Uh, and Kyle Hamilton, you know, he's, like, got some size. He just had – you know, he just didn't run a good 40. But, I mean, you put the tape on uh, Hamilton, uh, you know, he's a pretty darn good player, man. Mm-hmm. Cliff Victoria makes a very good point. Um Hicks may be the difference between getting a third-round compensatory pick. Got to keep that in mind. So, I mean, you know, do you want Akeem Hicks or a third-round pick? You know, for uh, you know, if you're trying to win in 2022, then you want Hicks. But 
we're really in a rebuild. I'm sorry, sorry, Robert Quinn. Please don't hit me. But Quinn is going to play defensive end. He's not going to play linebacker though, right? He'll be on the defensive line. Oh yeah, he'll be defensive end, which is his natural position. Um, so uh, absolutely, he, he is, and I anticipate that this team that he will get double digit sacks again if he plays the entire season with the Chicago Bears. But I want to get back to Dan's thought about the safety position because I too agree with you, Dan, and I had a a little bit of a disagreement with Greg Gabriel about that because I am of the school that, you know, sacks, and I, I'll have to do the, the analytics on this, but I think that sacks are just becoming harder to get in the NFL because of the rule changes that protect quarterbacks, because of the quick passing schemes teams are employing. It's hard to get a sack when the guy gets the snap, takes one step back, and then throws the fucking ball. You know, uh, so how do you how do you confront that? You confront it with defensive backs, cornerbacks and safety who can play smart zone, play with anticipation when they're in that zone zone or when they're asked to play man to man are riding the hips of those wide receivers. I think that the new NFL is going to be paying much more attention to cornerbacks first, but also safeties. And the, these hybrid safeties, guys that can come down and play from that center field position and then play that other linebacker position when you're sensing and smelling a run play. Yep. That to me, I mean, I'm always going to be, you know, old school in terms of building a team at the line of scrimmage first. But I I, I think there's a there should be a newfound appreciation for the importance of defensive back play yep. in today's NFL when they're throwing the ball 80% of the time. Nailed it. I mean, I think Greg Gabriel talked about that today, didn't he, on the show? Yeah, yeah. he did. So The uh, player that you were describing, again, I mentioned it to Jim McMahon, is, is Todd Bell, the guy that can knock your fucking head off in the secondary but also could come up and play linebacker. And by the, by the time Todd got to Philly, Buddy just made him a straight-up linebacker. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. But that's the kind of player yeah. that you're talking about. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, you can't hit people the way Todd could back in his era, uh, the late Todd Bell. But mm-hmm. uh, the point is, that's the kind of player we need. Right now, our best safety is very soft. And I hate to say that, but he is. Yeah. I mean, can he beat me in a fight? Maybe so. Maybe I'm softer than Eddie Jackson, but I'm not getting paid to play safety by the Chicago bears. Mm -hmm. So for he's not a tackler, he's not getting turnovers anymore. He doesn't seem to like any contact. He's the kind of boxer that's there for the payday and not trying to win the belt. You know I mean? That's just, and I don't even know who the other starter is right now. Do we know? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he's Gibson's gone, yeah. right? Gibson has not been re-signed. Is that correct? Uh, right now Gibson. it's Houston Carson. DeAndre Houston Carson. Isn't he a free agent too? No, he was signed. Recently. No, we re-signed him back to the oh, team. Oh, good, good, yeah. good, good, good. He's a, he's a solid player, uh, the kind of guy you need on your team, whether that's special teams or a quality backup. And I kind of – you know, didn't want to see Deion Bush go. I don't, I don't think Deion Bush is a, a, a starter per se, but he's the guy, if he comes in, he's not going to, especially when Eddie Jackson's on the team, he's not going to be a huge fall off. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about what Adeptus is saying? He's saying that maybe, you know, you get a, a high level safety and that could unlock Eddie Jackson's uh, sniping ability. I, I, I have to disagree with you, Adeptus. I think at this point, you know, 
Eddie's value comes more from playing that center field safety position. But in today's NFL, every defensive coordinator wants to disguise who's playing that center field position, which is why we saw Eddie Jackson play in the box so many plays. They they want these safeties to be interchangeable. It's even different from the Adrian Amos, uh, Eddie Jackson uh, days, you know, where you almost reliably, not, not exclusively, but almost uh, reliably, you had Eddie playing center field and Adrian playing the box. Now, again, I, I'm careful when I say that because I know Vic Fangio was a mastermind at disguising those calls and stuff, but it, it's still, you know, I, I just think that Eddie Jackson doesn't fit an NFL defense anymore that wants to have that interchangeable safety. He has no interest at all playing anywhere near the box. He wants to be, play as high up the field as possible and get over to where the ball is thrown so he can come up with an interception. And that, I don't think that's going to work with with this Bears defense. Now, you know, Poles and Eberflus have been, you know, waxing effusively about how attentive he's been at meetings and how, you know, he's saying all but the But he skipped things. the, he skipped the mini camp. He the skipped the, the first day. He arrived the second day. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know, but I'm with you a hundred percent, Dan, that safety is being overlooked. And I hate that we don't get into camp like we did during the Ryan Pace era where there was always one, at least one position that was severely under, uh, uh, not developed, but under, uh, uh, you know, didn't have enough good players in it. You know, every fucking year Ryan Pace reliably uh, had his team always missing out, like being minus zero at, at some position level. And I'm afraid that's going to happen simply because of Ryan Pace's mistakes and not building depth on this team. But we'll see. We haven't had a great safety since Mike Brown. Oh and Mike Brown was drafted 22 drafted, drafted years with ago. the 39th pick. Mm -hmm. What's yeah, you got a great stat on that. Have you gone over that on the air, on air yet? No, he hasn't. No. Uh, the, uh, the Bears have had the 39th pick in four of the last eight drafts including this one so uh eddie goldman 2015 uh james daniels 2018 uh, and tevin jenkins in 2021 and of course mike brown in 2000 wow was drafted 39th overall other guys are mark bradley and marcus spears and you wow. might remember uh bradley five looked like he was going to be something and then he got hurt i think in detroit yeah and yeah, it was never it healthy was never the same again although rex liked him but, I mean, he never really uh, – he just kind of played sparingly after that. Well, do you remember what happened? He was released, and then a, a week or two later, he was on the Kansas City roster, and he had like a, a, a big day, caught a touchdown pass yeah. at over 100 yards. Now, he never really did that again. No. Uh, he was who he was, but it was interesting. It felt like just another, oh, we let another guy go, and he's playing really well. And for a minute, yeah, for a minute there, Bears fans were like, why did we let this guy go? Look, see, now he's good. Now he's, he leaves us. Now he's good. Yeah, uh, he was balling in 05 though before he got hurt. He was playing really well. He was our number one wide receiver at that juncture. Mm -hmm. And by after his injury, yeah. I, I Robert, think Robbie makes a good a good point there, although on that one. Well, well hold you on. Know, that's oh, why no, it's I'm called the cut. Let, let's backtrack here. I, I, uh, okay. Dan, we're in the middle of a point. 
I was just saying after he got hurt, Bernard Berrien pretty much took his spot yeah. as our yeah. best wide receiver. But at the time, it looked like Bradley was going to be somebody significant. It's it's unfortunate how quickly that can turn on a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, to your point, too, Ravi does make a uh, a good point that in, in the traditional cover, too, there isn't a box safety. But that's not – they're not going to play the Lovey Smith uh, cover, too. Uh, Greg Gabriel said today that uh, when he last spoke with Chris Ballard, the GM with the Colts, he said he, he told Greg what Iberflus has done with the cover two is like a three point three class compared to what Lovey had, which was a one point oh. Lovey helped kind of uh, he took that initial Tampa two defense and improved on it a little bit because primarily because he had Erlacher who could play who could play that almost cover three. That was my but, point. But Iberflus now is is disguising the cover two in many ways, and in, and you may see the traditional cover two in Iberflus's defense only twenty percent of the time. If that, you're going to see a lot of nickel. You're going to see a lot of variations. So it's going to be interesting for people who love to study film and 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 strategy to 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 look at that. In fact, that's going to be one of the assignments I'm going to ask Danny to do during the offseason is to take a look at the tape of the uh, Colts defense to see if we can learn anything about that type of cover two. And also I'm going to ask him to take a look at some of the Green Bay offense uh, to see if we can learn anything about what gets he might be doing with, with the uh, Chicago bears. And that's a great point. Although I, do you know, uh, or do you think if, if I could ask a question, I, it's do the bears have the linebackers to play uh uh, you know, this the Flus's defense. I you know Roquan Smith for sure is will Roquan Smith. That's the question. Will he play the will, you know, which is super, super important in this defense, mm-hmm. or is he going to play the mic? You know, uh, right now, uh, to me, I would think Roquan is going to will, mm-hmm. you know, and Nicholas Morrow is the guy they signed to drop back. You know, the former safety that is the guy that's is going to uh, uh, drop back in uh you know, coverage, you know, as like the Urlacher type that can, you know, be up in the, because the middle linebacker is kind of the box safety in that defense that can drop back and cover, you know, fill that, fill that middle zone mm-hmm. with uh, the two safeties over the top. But uh, I, I don't know. Do you think we have a line, linebacker? The point I'm trying to make is linebacker might be a guy we go after in the draft as well. You know, we oh. don't even know. We need. We only have six draft picks. We need twelve. Yeah, we need twelve. We need twelve every year. That's right. What do you all know about the Davenport guy? Not to change the topic back to the line, but we haven't touched on him. The Davenport gentleman that yeah. we signed from the Colts, Julian Davenport. Um, he's he's not going to really be a starter. To me, he's more of a camp body. He's 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 there at, on an emergency basis. Um, you still need to draft somebody. Davenport in a pinch where guys are injured, you could probably throw him in there and and hope that he's going to play well for a couple of games. But I don't really think that he's a remedy at all. He's a a fairly reliable backup is uh, my understanding of who he is. I remember when he came out in the draft, there was a lot of people who thought of him as a promising mid-round offensive lineman, which is where I think he was selected, but he really hasn't done anything of, of note that we should be thinking of, well, he's, he's a possible candidate for starting job. No, he's, he's a backup. And, um, and, and he's that Uh, CJ Williams says, 
uh, uh, Julian Davenport equals Willie Wright. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure who Willie Wright is, though. That's the problem. That's it why sounds bad, though, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Willie Wilson would be different. <laughs> um, Nicholas, Although, do you have a do you have like linebacker list like that, guys? You would hope to fall. Uh, no, I did not develop okay. that list uh, because I, I only did those three positions because I think those are the three highest of needs. But I could have done safety and I could have done linebacker because are also two other uh, uh, positions of huge needs uh, for this team. I did do a list of uh, just kind of special guys that I, I wouldn't mind if the, they were a member of the uh, Bears guys that I've kind of fallen in love and looking at tapes. That's a defensive lineman named Logan Hall. I mean, this guy could be that three-tech defensive lineman. He could be like, like uh, what's the name of the guy, uh, Tooch, help me out here, who who's the three-tech with the Colts, uh, who was, he, he, he ate the Bears quarterback in that last game. Uh, that he played. Somebody in the chat will so, know. Um, DeForest Buckner. Yes, that's him. No, 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 no. He's nope. he's uh, DeForest Buckner. Is it? Oh my gosh! Why am I drawing a blank? Buckner was with San Francisco. Then right. he, didn't they, he go to Colts after that? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. It is Buckner. Uh, I bet. Okay. And so, if he's available, um, and the Bears pick him up, I think he's a guy who's got tremendous tremendous upside and can be a really disruptive agent in the defensive line. The second guy was tight end Trey McBride. Dan will love this guy if he comes to the Chicago Bears. And not only is he a better pass catcher than Cole Komet, but this guy plays with a fucking attitude. He He's the guy that's going to get up in your face and say, get your fucking hands off my quarterback. I'm here to protect them and catch touchdown passes from him. You would love Trey McBride, I, I, I he would I be a Dan's on board with that. Yeah, he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't like Cole. Come on, no, he doesn't. <laughs> well, I hope I'm wrong about Cole. I hope Cole and Justin have developed a rapport this off season. Yeah, me too. And then uh, the third guy I had was uh, Lewis uh, Seen, uh, the uh, safety who may not be available in the second round, but if he fell to either 39 yeah. or uh, any one of those picks, you got to fucking consider it, man, because this guy is a baller at the yeah. safety yeah. position. So Both who knows? They might guys. think they might think Vildor and uh, Thomas Graham and Jalen Johnson are three good starters, and might they might fucking trick us and draft a safety in the second round. Wouldn't that be something? Wow, that would be huge. I wouldn't be opposed. Yeah, I'm with it you. It still though. helps the secondary. It still helps the secondary, and it's weak. Right. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I don't. I think uh, we, we're all stuck in that paradigm of wide receiver, cornerback, offensive lineman. I wouldn't be shocked if if this guy just fucking surprises us. Wouldn't it be wild if if with those three picks on day two, we got Lewis signed, signed the the safety, Trey McBride, the tight end, and Logan Hall? <laughs> I wouldn't advise that because we des- desperately need offensive line help. But who knows? We'll see. This is the fun of guessing and speculating and all that shit. All right, guys. Uh, time to switch gears. What time is it? It's almost 10 o'clock. Um, oh, all right. Yep. Yeah. I know we wanted to talk about winning time. Tooch, did you watch the last episode? Yeah, it was great. I, it just gets better and better, man. It really fucking does. Yeah. I, I, okay. I know it's... Uh... It's like, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? And, and I'm sure Dan will agree with me, but it's like, uh, it's, it's, uh, 
it's fantasy. It's like, uh, you know, it's not, I, I don't believe for a second that this is what happened, you know, but uh, like uh, the Jerry West talking to this talking statue, you know, of himself. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Dan, Dan, you saw the episode, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, what were your thoughts about this episode? Do you think, like Tooch and I, that it's the episodes just get get better and better, or were you a little well, disappointed? Can we touch on the the lawsuit stuff first? Absolutely, go ahead, go for it. Okay, so this is the interesting part to me. As far as I know it, and I'm not an attorney, but as far as I recall, the precedent with the Supreme Court that set a standard that you know, makes it more difficult for celebrities to sue and what have you, it was with Larry Flint, uh, with Jerry Falwell with the lawsuit because they were, Hustler was, you know, publishing photos of suggesting that uh, Jerry Falwell was fucking his mother in an outhouse. Mm-hmm. But the precedent of this was that if it's caricature and it's obviously not intended to be factual, then that's protected speech. But we're talking about a different thing. I'm not saying that Jerry West is going to win this lawsuit. He's demanding a retraction or at least something put on the screen to say, hey, this isn't really the way this guy was. And I don't blame him for doing so. Uh, But I don't know if this is presented as caricature. I think now I understand why they've been changing scores around and stuff like that so they can just hide and say, oh, it's it's not a documentary. See, it's just... Well, hell, that we they didn't even play Boston uh, in Boston first. You know, we've been changing things around for to make it fiction, but I think that's a cop-out. The story, for the most part, has been presented as if it were truth. And if you don't believe me, think about it. The first scene of the show was Magic getting diagnosed with HIV, right? which has nothing to do with this entire season. This season's going to end with them winning the championship in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So it has nothing to do with what's going to come in 1991. However, that nugget right there kind of gives you an impression that they're trying to sell this as truth. Mm -hmm. I'm not blaming Jeff Perlman or anyone specific, but I think they are presenting it as being that this is as factual as we can make it. And for them to then run and hide and just say, oh, it's not a documentary. What I'm trying to say is if West is alleging that they have malice intent with his uh, portrayal, because that certainly doesn't fall in the category of a caricature. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some legal legs to this. I'm not saying he's going to win any money, but maybe they have to acquiesce and just say on the screen a message that Jerry West does not agree with the way he's presented in this, this show or whatever, end of story, go away. Um, having said all that, I do like the show. I think it's this week's episode was much better than last week. I, I am worried now that everything I see is a lie. I don't know if Jack McKinney came back that season and there was a power struggle and they decided to keep, because he wanted to fire Pat Riley and, 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 you know, I don't know if any of this is true now. And it, that, that disappoints me in a lot of ways. I know that the way they've presented Larry bird is completely out of step. And I, not that I care, I'm not a bird fan, but I do. I did want more from the show in the sense that like, don't just exaggerate characters just because you think it's more creative. Uh, so I think in those aspects, knowing that they're not telling 
even trying to tell the truth in some instances is hurting the show for me, but I do like it. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, but I don't necessarily think it's as great as I did initially. Cause I thought they were trying to be factually correct. So that does bother me. But again, the, the legal stuff I think is interesting. I'd like to see how this plays out. If it ends up going to court. What do you think, Tooch? Well, yeah, I mean, Dan's right. I mean, I, for me, I've thrown reality out the window with this because you kind of have to if you're going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, who doesn't like Jeannie Buss throwing up after imagining her father motorboating some titties? <laughs> right? <laughs> Danny, <laughs> are you with me? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was I, I was getting a drink of water. What was what did you say? I apologize. I had my headset down for 10 seconds, I swear. <laughs> I said, I thought you'd get a kick out of Jeannie Buss throwing up after imagining her dad motorboating some titties. <laughs> yeah, and she thought that the I don't know if this is even true, but the lady was trying to help his mom, Sally right. Field's character. He was offering to help pay her through school. At the time, it was a completely nice gesture. It wasn't like he's like, well, if you suck my dick, but then I guess it does show him sucking her titties in the car. So I don't know what it means. But yeah, that was funny uh, to see her vomit thinking her dad was fucking. Well, let me let me offer this because I was actually uh, HBO put out an announcement today um they have a statement that reads in part hbo has a long history of producing compelling content drawn from actual facts and events that are fictionalized in part for dramatic purposes winning time is not a documentary and has not been presented as such however the series and its depictions are based on extensive factual research and reliable sourcing and HBO stands resolutely behind our talented creators and cast who have brought a dramatization of this epic chapter in basketball history to the screen. They're talking out both sides of their mouth. No, oh, hold they're on. Saying, let, let me finish my point. Saying, then, okay, go ahead. My bad. My bad. Go ahead. Let me finish my point. So sure. I'm sorry. I, I, I think that they are correct because even before they put out that statement, I did some research research, and Jerry West had written an autobiography named West by West, My Charmed Torture Life, which talks about his battles with depression that began when his father used to beat the shit out of him, talked about his depression when he would win championships and be dejected at the end, wondering, is that all there is to this? The high, you know, I expect it to be happier. I expect it to be. So I'm not saying that Jerry West threw his trophy through the window, but those are creative ways to uh, um, uh, uh, provide symbols through what was going on with Jerry West. And this week's episode was to me, Jerry West was put on a fucking mountain. He went into Magic Johnson's, uh, yeah, Magic Johnson's locker room and talked to him after Dr. J embarrassed the shit out of him and told him, you have got to stop being one to be liked by everybody and go out there and beat the shit out of your fucking opponent. He offered him a life lesson, something that Michael Jordan was built with in his DNA. He offered that to Magic Johnson. And that's, therefore, it, that's going to be one of the critical points of this uh, series that's going to propel the Lakers to a championship. Who knows? 
if Jerry West actually made that speech to Magic Johnson. But it, again, kind of uh, is emblematic of Jerry West's leadership on that team, even though he wasn't a part of the coaching staff, he was, even though he was just kind of a, 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 uh, an advisor and, and yeah. not much more than that. So I love uh, that part, Aldo. Yeah, that was a, a great fucking scene. That was a great part, were... yep. So I'm sorry, Dan. Please go ahead with your thoughts. I thought their statement was duplicitous. It's talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're saying, oh, but this is not a documentary. And, it, you know, I forget the exact wording, but, it, you know, we can dramatize. and and But essentially, then they're coming out and saying, but no, but no, no, it is based on fact. But at the beginning of the statement, it's not based on fact. It's not a documentary. Mm -hmm. It's like they're trying to have it both ways in that regard. And again, I have, despite, I'm not saying, I have no reason to sit here and like defend Jerry West. I don't know anything about, about Jerry West other than he was from my state and that he's the logo mm -hmm. and that he was a great player. That's all I know. Mm -hmm. And I knew he was an executive. That's what I knew him as my entire life. So I have no built-in propensity to feel sorry for Jerry West. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, I. Uh, Kareem, for example, has been watching, and Kareem came up and said that he thought that it was completely an abortion the way yeah. – that, that's not a quote, but no. he said it's just a terrible the way he's pro he projected. Yeah, did he suffer from depression? Of course, but he wasn't a, a raving lunatic screaming fuck constantly and, and always drunk and shit like that. <laughs> I think that that's the portrayal that's so offensive to him. And yeah. if I were Paul Westhead, Jesus Christ – the yeah. way they make him sit around and say, oh, I don't think I can do it. And Riley has to throw him in a shower and turn the water. Like they make him look like an impotent fucking cock. So that's just completely <laughs> made up. Then shit like that really hurts the story, in my opinion, because they think it's funny or whatever, or it's entertaining the boys that they're writing for. But you're talking about people's lives and people's legacies. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to just make it because you think it, it it's it's fucking suits your screenplay to demean people then you can't present it as oh but it's it's so researched and based on fact i i i, I can see what danny's saying although sure. because you know there's some you know it's highly dramatized mm -hmm. you know like the uh West sequence re it says that right yeah yeah i mean and and then you know i mean they hbo did kind of double down like dan says they kind of mm -hmm. doubled down a little bit on it you know protecting their you know, protecting their st their their creative staff. You mm -hmm. know, but uh, uh, with the uh, the uh, West uh, portrayal, you know, we don't we're, we're taking it as over the top. I mean, some of this episode was almost like uh, like high drama with like the, uh, when uh, when McKinney comes back and he's like he's like all of a sudden he's like this evil overseer. You know, it's like yeah, right. He's <laughs> like he's like here's uh, he hears like Pat Riley saying other things that on the TV. <laughs> You know, he's like, fuck you, you Irish shantytown motherfucker. You know, it's like, you know, stuff <laughs> like know that. I, I, I'm enjoying it because of the campiness, too. You know, because, uh -huh. I mean, it pre it's presented as sort of this 80s camp, you know, campy uh, uh, 80s I, style. I agree, I agree but, with that, yeah. I, I, I do think that, um, I, I agree with a lot of what Dan's saying. And too, yeah, so do I. I, I, I agree with you. It, it, it has always been. Now, I, I went uh, to film school at Columbia College here in Chicago, and I took a class on that whole topic is should, you know, filmmakers be faithful to the books that they're uh, adapting their screenplays from? Should they be faithful to true life events? 
And I think the consensus for most of the students at the end of the 10-week course was, it's your fucking movie. You do whatever, as long as you're you're within the, the, the legal limits, you know, and you're not slandering anybody or anything like that. You can do whatever you want with the material. If you have the legal rights to do it, you can do whatever you want. And so, go ahead, Dan. My rebuttal to that is, and I'm not disagreeing with you. Mm-hmm. Let's just take Oliver Stone, for example, Perfect who example. wrote the Do- the yeah. Doors movie. Mm-hmm. There were so many exceptions taken by members of the actual band mm-hmm. on events portrayed in the film that they said you know were just complete lunacy didn't happen. But Oliver Stone never presented that as fact. He and he didn't he didn't hide when he was now again completely different about JFK because Oliver does believe that that stuff is true whether people disagree or not. But uh, what I'm saying is with the doors is a better example because he openly admits it's his screenplay that he, you know, he was the creator and dramatized those events. Mm -hmm. He says that from the top, even when he's marketing the film, granted it's almost been 30, well, it has been 30 years ago now, Mm -hmm. but he never said it was otherwise. But again, if you go back to HBO statement, they're like, Oh no, we stand by the facts. And, it's like, again, they're implying that this stuff is true. Mm-hmm. That's the difference to me. Uh, I don't think that a filmmaker should necessarily have to, like like you said, have to do everything straight down the line because that would be boring in some instances. But I think the thing with this is that they are presenting it as fact and then running and hiding and saying they're not, but then also saying they are. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the difference. Like if someone like Stone will come out and tell you, no, no, I wrote that screenplay. Uh, a lot of that's historical fiction, but the show's not saying that. And I think that that's the exception to that exact rule there, in my opinion, which is only an opinion. It doesn't course, make it right. That, Do you think they to. should? They should offer a disclaimer at the beginning, uh, Danny. Well, but they do. You know, and what, Je- what what Jerry West wants is like an apology. We apologize to Jerry West because we've uh, dramatized his events, his his personal life to the point where we've made him, you know, angry. Ah, oh, fuck that, man. I'm sorry. It, it, when you choose to live your life publicly, the, the but I think he can argue there's malice there. I'm not saying he's going to win, but legally, that if he could prove malice, they, they would have to pay damages. That would be a form of libel. So I think that that's his thing, is that he's saying that they have maliciously uh, written this about him to slander him. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's true, then, I mean, I'm not saying it is, Then he's, but it's interesting because th- their statements sort of contradict themselves and... I don't know what the court would say if it went to it. I I don't know, but I I honestly think that Jerry would be happy if they just said on the final episode that he's taking exception of the way his character was portrayed on this, blah, blah, blah. And for that, we're sorry, you know, whatever. We never meant to offend him, whatever. I'm not not the public relations firm here, you know? I know. I I don't think this is ever, ever going to get close to a courtroom. I don't think that Jerry West wants to be questioned about what he wrote in his autobiography about thoughts of committing suicide, because that's what he wrote in those books. He doesn't, but he was depressed. He was, that doesn't mean he's an alcoholic and, and screaming constantly and things like that. Right. Well, well, that is true. That is true. And, and I'm not, uh, I mean, they're mocking his mental illness in some regard. 
Because well, if, if, if you believe depression is an, a mental ailment that a lot of people take drugs for I certainly to suppress. Do. I certainly do. I, and I don't know, man, that's that's a great thing to debate right there. Were they mocking his mental illness or were they just kind of presenting it in an amplified way for dramatic purposes? I, that's a tough one, man. That's a tough I one. think the latter. You can see both but, sides. Yeah. You could see both sides, but I, I, I think more towards the latter. But although, do you think uh, Winning Time is a, is a show that you kind of have to make the decision to say? <laughs> Cliff Victoria says, always remember, 50% of people are dumber than average. That's <laughs> Cliff, I used to have a teacher in high school. Oh, said, just wait, wait till you hear what I'm about to say next, Cliff. <laughs> go, go right ahead. <laughs> do you think it's, uh, do you think Winning Time is a show where you kind of have to make the decision of, you know, I, I'm either going to enjoy the show, I'm not going to enjoy it. If I want to enjoy it, if I'm going to invest time in watching it, so I've got to turn off, you know, part of my brain that says, mm -hmm. oh, uh, uh, this is, you know, this is uh, not realistic. This isn't what happened or anything like that or whatever." And just kind of like maybe go with the flow of the, you know, the stylistic dramatization and kind of enjoy it for what it is and not kind. Because of, I, I, I think I, that's I think that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I think that's a good question for Dan because Dan, after the first couple episodes, he was in love with this show. I not, still like the show. But do you feel I took exception to when they were changing the scores and stuff around and and the the events of how things played out? Like if Cooper didn't hit the winning shot in this game, you can't say he did, in my opinion. So to me, those like I said earlier, I feel like they're doing little things like that is just just a way to to hide the stuff that they're doing with Jerry West or Paul Westhead. I like to say, see, we changed the scores around, so it's all fiction. Yeah, I don't think they did that. It's I, not a draw. It's not a. It's not a documentary because yeah. we've changed other things too. It, you know, I like the show, and I, and I'm gonna watch it the next two episodes, and I'm gonna watch season two when it starts, whenever that is. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has lost a little bit of his its luster with me knowing. Especially just that statement, it's just so, so all over the place. I don't know. It's like, I don't, I it's like you're having your that. cake and eating it too, to use that cliche. HBO has a long history of, of producing compelling content drawn from actual facts, drawn from actual facts, facts and events that are fictionalized in part for dramatic purposes. Yeah, but when, continue on toward the, the end when he's like, but we we know this is based on facts and we be, we believe in our sources. However, the series and its depictions are based on extensive factual research and reliable sourcing and HBO stands resolutely behind our talented creators and cast who have brought a dramatization of this epic chapter. I don't have a problem with... I feel like that's contradictory. I think they're saying two different things there. I don't know, man. Well, did... Did uh, William Shakespeare dramatize actual events, though, too? <laughs> Although, you know. Well, right? you look, you look at any movie. Hundreds of years. Any movie, any, you know, Hollywood movie that is based on real life is dramatized to some degree and most of them to high degree. It's like, I think I said it this in, in, in last week's show, the remember the Titans movie with Denzel Washington and Will Patton? There, you know, the players from that era say, yeah, there weren't, uh, there weren't that many uh, racial issues like it was depicted in the movie, but, you know, we enjoyed it. <laughs> so well, that, that doesn't bother me so much because they're, you know, they're talking to there's like, there's numerous fake white people who are the bigots in the show mm -hmm. versus, again, a, a real a man real who person. had a real legacy. And again, we still, no one's even asked Paul Westhead. Is he still alive? I think he is. Yeah, I believe he is. 
Yeah, I mean, God, they've made him look just absolutely awful. Yeah. And then just suddenly just, you know, you skipped ahead in time and suddenly they're like 40 games later in the schedule. Mm-hmm. It, it, God, they just for, – for me, if the West Head thing isn't true, the Jerry West thing isn't true, then like it's like why are they picking on these two guys? You mm-hmm. know, like just – I, I guess it's supposed it made the people in the writing room laugh or something, and it's just like, oh, but you, uh, you, so Aldo and I wrote the screenplay, and we we think it's funny, but yeah, but this is real people who had real lives and real legacies that you're affecting here, you know? Yeah, I, I hear you. There's a certain sensitivity to that, absolutely, and you're gonna you're gonna hate this even more. <laughs> Both of you guys, listen to this. Uh, the question is, did Paul Wesson and Jack McKinney have a falling out? You'll be shocked to hear this, according to silverscreenandroll.com. You'll be shocked to hear that as far as we can tell, based on public information, none of that happened. There is no record of Westhead having kidney stones that forced him out of the game this season. And there is no record of Pat Riley being the interim, interim head coach for a game in Philadelphia. (laughs) Jesus. See, that really hurts the show to me. Uh, that really hurts the show. I mean, it's just they're mixing in so many facts to hide it, but some of this is just utter dog shit. Mm-hmm. Like, like I didn't know that that wasn't true, but now knowing that that wasn't true, it's just like the audacity to just make that up. I mean, it's just fuck. And it's, and it's still a good show. Down. <laughs> hey, if if they were going to make a movie about Dan, Aldo, and Tooch, I would give them the creative license to do whatever they want. Draw me up as a character with the yep. biggest dick in the world. Draw me up as a character. What if they said every night you were before you on all your shows before you turn the mic on, you sucked a stranger's dick, just because <laughs> they thought that was funny. Aldo every night blew a stranger before he turned on the mic. If, if it was eight o'clock in the morning Central Time with Mike North, or goddamn it, it's midnight with Dan Aguirre, he was just blowing a guy before they turned the mic on. He'd be like, "What? Point, you know, point me just, to him. Point me to who wrote that shit. Point me to him." You could just say whatever you want. Is my point? I used an extreme example. Yeah, but it feels right. like they're just yes, saying whatever they want about anything. And to me, if I'm writing this show, I'm arguing. You got to stick at least with the fundamentals. You have to stick with the fundamental truth. I get if you're condensing three events into one conversation Mm -hmm. or something to that effect, and maybe even making up a party that Magic went to see Dr. J. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I get they went to dinner. We don't know what was really said. I have no problems with them, you know, speculating what the dialogue may have been. But when you're changing, the outcomes of games and and people's entire personalities mm-hmm. just because that affects the show to me. Yeah, I think you're making a, a compelling idea. Yeah, I, I agree too. But but Danny, uh um doesn't this great cast kind of make it like it's so enjoyable to I mean the cast is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, uh the guy who I plays love, magic. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't, if we were on the writing team, these are things I'd be saying, come on guys, man, we can't, I know it's funny to portray Westhead as this impotent fucking, I have no belief in myself kind of guy, but if that, the guy's coached for 30 fucking years after this. So if that were true, he, he would have never made it. He'd have never won an NBA championship if he was just some weak ass guy like that, Mm -hmm. you know? So things like that bother me. It's like, are they doing it to appease themselves? Do they think it's funny? 
Well, it's Adam. It's Adam McKay, right? Uh, And I'm not a big follower of Adam McKay movies, but as Tooch said, I think a week ago, this guy has done the the Talladega movies, a lot of Will Ferrell movies. So he's got that kind uh, of sense of humor. Step Brothers, with uh, which explains why John C. Riley's in it, right? John C. Riley is his actor. You know, his one guys is in a lot of his movies. And and you gotta admit, you know, he's he's, he's done well. He's, he's done well. He's great in that role. Whether yeah, whether it's yeah I true agree. Or not. I just probably my favorite character, Jerry Buss. Yeah, you know, you I know? mean, uh, but you know, it, it is interesting that if if I had known more about Adam McKay before this series, I would have gone into this with a different outlook oh okay he's kind of a broad comedy filmmaker he's made these will ferrell movies and so forth then i would have had a feeling that i i kind of get where um i'm going on this who was it didn't he have an agreement with a disagreement with somebody about this tv series and they parted regarding creative differences um i'll do the research maybe one, one of his directors you know yeah, it, not, not all not all the episodes were directed by Adam McKay. He, you know, oh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they have other directors. But mm-hmm. uh, let's flip this around just for a moment, mm-hmm. and it's a hypothetical. But just just follow me on it. Even I know Aldo, you're a little bit older than me, or or you know, Tuches as well. But I mean, this topic, the 1980 season was 40 fucking years ago. So even if you were watching the NBA then, and I presume that you were, you may not remember all these specifics to be able to contradict it mm-hmm. but let's say the next it guy on TV, though, wants it to traumatize all? the bulls when it's something that you remember so vividly mm-hmm. because it meant so much to you mm-hmm. and it's got like just holes and holes and holes are filled with inaccuracies mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't that piss you off? I think if we were Laker fans that remembered the 79-80 season the way we do the 85 Bears, we would just be fucking infuriated with this. That's a a very, very valid argument. Uh, And I would be pissed off, but I think that I would have an understanding about these kinds of of rules of fiction filmmaking. You know, the, the, the last dance was where you should go for m- more accuracy, but not if you be- not if you listen to Horace or Scottie Pippen. Well, yeah, that, I mean that's that's a great great point because a documentary is always about how somebody looks at things from their lens. You know, yeah. it's, it's not actually true. It is true for them, but it may be tr- untrue for somebody else. So, it's very very difficult to get accuracy, hundred percent accuracy on any type of reporting. Yeah, although, you're totally right. It, History is different for every person. Mm-hmm. There you, you know? go. Well, somebody else said that, right? Are you quoting somebody there? <laughs> no. I, By the way, that, that split Adam McKay had was with Will Ferrell, and the okay. dispute was a creative uh, – their, their whole creative partnership uh, dissolved because the creative uh, differences over another movie that they're working on, not, not this particular – We know uh, how much Dan about. loves Will Ferrell, too. <laughs> I did like him on SNL. I just don't like his movies. The same thing with Adam Sandler. I like Sandler on SNL. I liked Chris Farley on SNL. I just didn't like either one of their movies. Yeah, I think part of it, I, 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 I'm kind of with Dan on this one, is that these guys are funny in their five-minute skits, but over a 100-minute movie, sometimes yeah, it, it, yeah. Can, it can be a little tougher to carry out. Now, I will say this. 
um, no choice of my own. I've had to watch a few Adam Sandler movies of his broad comedies. And I sat through them and I said to myself, you know what? This is actually better than I thought uh, it was going to be. But yeah, I, I have, you know, that Jerry Lewis broad comedy that uh, other contemporary actors have brought and, and comparing Adam Sandler and Jerry Lewis is probably not, not, not accurate, but that kind of comedy to me is, isn't as appealing in, in, in feature film length. Yeah. Anyway. Here goes your fun fact, Aldo. Fun fact. When I was fun? a kid, fun fact, when I was a kid, I was a phone operator for the Jerry Lewis telephone. <laughs> is that right? Uh, Swear to God. And I was like 10 or 11 years old because my mom was doing it. So, so you yeah, were... I answered because I sounded older, even though when I was younger. So, you know you what I mean? My studio. voice was already pretty deep for a kid. So they let me do it, too. That's wild. So you were in the studio, not the New York studio with Jerry Lewis and stuff, but you were in a local studio in Virginia. West Virginia, but well, yeah, yeah, West like, uh, I don't know how they routed the calls, but yeah, we would take your info of like, okay, you're Aldo Gandia, you're in Illinois, you pledge $500, here's your credit card info, or your checking, your routing number, however you did it, and yeah, we filled out the paperwork, we thanked you, and that was that, we just moved on, took the next call. That is awesome. I have, when I, I did was, that for like two or three years. When I was a kid, I always wanted to, and I would dare myself, I should call and make a fake contribution, you know, using a fake name, you know, like, uh, <laughs> hi, my name is Wilma. My last right. name is Dick Fit. Wilma Dick Fit. <laughs> and, I, and I pledged $10,000. <laughs> I always wanted to do that, but didn't have the guts to do it. <laughs> that sounds like a Howard Stern bit all. Day, By the way, speaking of Howard always, Stern, uh, people at, at, in the chat room have been talking about the Johnny Depp Amber. What's her last name? Uh, Amber Heard. Amber, Amber Heard. Heard situation. She Howard, shit in his bed. She <laughs> shit in his bed. Good for her. <laughs> Howard Stern is not uh, buying uh, Johnny Depp, saying that he uh, Johnny Depp is behaving uh, as a narcissist and compared him to Donald Trump, uh, saying that he wanted this trial to be videotaped because he wanted to convince America that he is innocent and that he's really a good guy and that he's overacting and it's easy to see that he's full of shit. Did you guys uh, hear that? So what are your thoughts? I didn't that? listen to Stern because I didn't know he did a show today. I feel like if we go back to January, Howard's probably worked 10 days. So <laughs> I'm probably going to cancel Sirius. Uh, and when my one year deal Cause I get it for like nine 99 a month for one year. Right. Because he fucking never works. Yeah. And, but yeah, like to me again, I like Stern, but if you're going to come after Johnny Depp, how about going after yourself for the terrible shit you said to magic Johnson? Oh, that's right. That's right. There's no addressing that. Is there Howard? He is, I mean, come on, yeah. man. That was a lot of the stuff that was on social media saying that's the pot calling the kettle black or whatever that expression is. Uh, yeah. Howard calling somebody a narcissist. <laughs> it's like, Tooch, I'm sorry, I interrupted what you were saying. She chopped off part of his finger. She really did that? Uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah, there's like photos of it with like half of his finger tipped yeah. on, like oh through the side. God. Yeah. Now, yeah, I think that I think everybody agrees that both of them are miserable people. <laughs> so, uh, can I ask you, uh, you and Dan a question? Manson got brought up. No. Yeah, they brought up Manson because she was talking about all the cocaine he was doing with Manson. Oh, you and said pills that to me, uh, Danny. Yeah, I did see that. 
Yeah. Yeah. He joked and said, yeah, one time I gave Manson a pill just so he would stop talking, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> but maybe maybe he is playing to the cameras. I can't dispute that. But mm-hmm. uh, he's been passionate for years that he didn't he wasn't abusive and stuff. And if he wasn't, then good for him to try to clear his name because he did lose. the. I don't like those movies, the Pirates of the Caribbean, but he did get fired from those. She did effectively ruin his career just with an accusation, yeah. which I still think is scary for me as a male that anyone can say what they want and you're just fucking guilty. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's guilty, then, you know, he should lose all of those things. Mm-hmm. But who's to say if he is or not? So I, I support his, uh, if he's passionate trying to clear his name, I support at least him having the forum to do it. There you go. Now, if they still root, for, if they still rule for her, then that's something different entirely. But I, I support him having the means to at least to, to, pr- to protect himself and say this isn't true. Mm-hmm. Stephen Nagishi, uh, I think, is referring to the movie Tooch you've been recommending. He said, uh, Stephen writes, I saw a Nicolas Cage movie over the weekend. Very good film. It was like watching a movie within yeah, a movie. Yeah. I haven't sucked. seen it yet. It's Is it that one oh, where yeah. he's the uh, winning talent or something like that? Okay, uh, so it wasn't uh, the one that you've been recommending for months. Here is Pig, right? Pig is great, but it's it's yeah. not like a movie inside a movie though. But that's why I was thinking it's like the like the is it Channing Tatum and and Nicolas Cage or something? Oh uh, yeah, I think I've heard of that. It's uh, at the Steve, theater. Just started today. Or, uh, that's where Nicolas Cage is playing Nick Cage, right? Right. Yeah. His character's name is Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. Massive, massive talent. Massive talent. Boy, yeah, I, I really loved uh, the movie he was in with Meryl Streep. Um, what the fuck was the name of that? Um, where he plays a screenwriter with a double, uh, with a twin brother. Oh, it's Adaptation. Yeah. Adaptation. adaptation. I yeah. really like that. Solid movie. Solid movie. Yeah. Loved it, man. Loved it. A lot of people hated that movie. I would recommend it to people. Why the fuck did you recommend that movie to me? Adaptation, yes. Um it, because it's out there. It's weird. It's different. And um, I really loved it. I'm dying to see it, it for a too. second time. But, you know, sometimes this ever happened to you guys. You watch a great movie and you're kind of afraid to watch it a second time because you got a feeling it's not going to feel as good the second time. You guys ever get that feeling? Yeah. Some uh, movies, you know, go back to for me, it's a little bit different. It'll be something I really like, but I'm like, I could see no one else enjoying it. So I won't say anything. <laughs> yeah. There's movies like, uh, life is beautiful. The, uh, Italian uh, film that uh, won best picture. And I saw yeah, that in a yeah. movie theater in Miami, you know, I cried. It was so yeah, good right. and so forth, but I have anytime it's on, I go nowhere near it because yep, I, nowhere. I, yeah. Now a movie like Depressing, Terminator two, I think I've watched Terminator 2 or at least portions of it over a hundred times because anytime it's on, I'm going to stop and watch it, you know, because the filmmaking there, the uh, uh, James Cameron uh, filmmaking, the the performances, the propulsion, it's, it's just, it's like drinking some really good coffee watching that movie. I love it. Love that film. Did you did you ever see uh like the Blu-ray version where they had the like, cut scenes for T2? No. There's one scene that I thought they should have left in the film, but I know it's two and a half hours or whatever anyway. Mm-hmm. But one of the scenes that I liked a lot where you remember um his name's like Michael Byan or is it Bean? 
Um, who played yeah. uh, the hero of the first film, Protecting Linda Hamilton. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, Michael Bean. cutaway scene where she has like an hallucination mm-hmm. of him talking to her in the second film. Oh. That yeah. I thought was really cool. If you like, Kyle Reese was his name in the film. Yes, yes. Where, where she's struggling for confidence and she gets it from Kyle. Mm. whom she still supposedly loves, you know, even though he died Mm -hmm. because he's the father of her child, you know, and he saved her. So I thought that, and it was, it was really him. It was the same actor. I thought that was a scene that should have been left in, but yeah, Terminator two is a fantastic movie. The first one equally great in a different, completely different way. They're both super films. And I think because of his accent, a lot of people, or even his politics, they, 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 kind of denigrate Arnold's acting. And that's, that's too bad because a guy that couldn't speak English when he came to America mm-hmm. coming the top paid actor in the fucking world for like a decade mm-hmm. is extremely impressive. Oh. And I think he really earned that. Like he's fucking got a lot of movies on the, like the, like the fringe like that, like uh, the sixth day. Did you ever see that? That one I about have not cloning. Seen. That one I have not seen. Oh man. Did you like total recall? Loved it. It's sort of similar in that in it's it's sci-fi, but not like oh, welcome to this planet, like Star Trek or whatever. It's again the whole idea is it's supposed to be right when like an animal got cloned in America in circa '97. Mm-hmm. So the film goes to quote like the near future, and they have the capabilities of human cloning. And at one point, Arnold's character is cloned but he doesn't know he's the clone uh it's rated r it's sci-fi if, if you like total recall you'd like you'd like the sixth day is it based on a philip k dick book the the author of total recall no I don't, I, i'm just comparing it in terms of the genre yeah but it, it it does feel like a philip k dick type story you know the where you, you reality is is fucked with you don't know who if this is really you or you're a clone or shit like that that's that's right it's of, very yeah, I think you know in Total Recall there were some elements of that too, like where right. he didn't know which. Yeah, so it's very similar, and they're both the same genre. Maybe they are by the same author. I, I don't know, but again, it's one of those obscure movies from 2000 that I think a lot of people forgot about. Mm-hmm. That I highly recommend, especially if you like Total Recall. Uh, Ravi says it is uh, based on a Philip K. Dick book. Philip K. Dick was a prolific science fiction writer who would drop acid, do LSD as he was writing his stories, and he came up with superlative uh, works. Blade Runner is based on one of his books, uh, Total Recall, a bunch of other stuff. I read a couple of his books when I was younger, and, uh, yeah, it felt like a like a, like an acid trip. There's no doubt about it. Hey, uh, Tucci, you saw the question up there uh, that, that was on there earlier. What, what are your, pre- your preference, Terminator 1 or ter- Terminator 2? Man, they're both great. They really are. It's hard to, yeah. There, there wouldn't be a two without a one. That's but, right. Uh, a two is awesome too, man. It's just, yeah. It's that was what Edward Furlong. Edward yeah, Furlong, uh, right. Whatever happened to him, you know? It's like Edward oh, got he, on drugs yeah, pretty badly, really bad. Yeah, he was I see. I always liked Pet Cemetery too, mm-hmm. and he was the star of that along with Anthony Edwards, who was uh, going on ER at the time, so was becoming a star himself. Uh, but yeah, Pet Cemetery 2, to me, it was a great horror film from 1992. And they did like the 30th anniversary or what have you on Blu-ray recently. And I bought it and I watched the bonus features with them 
uh, it's sad, man. He's still burned out. He looks terrible. That's yeah, awful. I mean, it's like I. He looks so bad that I wouldn't be surprised. Not saying he did. Mm-hmm. Whatever they paid, whatever shop factory played it paid him. I wouldn't be surprised if it went straight to a dealer. Yeah, man, that's so sad. It, it, it is, man. He looked. He looked bad. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's sad. Man, I had a point to make about fucking Schwarzenegger. Who? Oh, I, again, I agree with you, Dan. A underappreciated actor. I, I think you know guys like he had range. He had a lot of range. He, like kindergarten cop, for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of people think that if you can't do the master thespian uh, Shakespearean stuff, that you're not a good actor. Well, guess what? You know, uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin couldn't do that. Buster Keaton could, couldn't do that. Those guys are great physical actors. They 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 are great storytellers. Same thing with Tom Cruise and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Those guys make great pictures, and they are are perfectly suited for the roles. And I, I, I'm a, I'm in the camp that Tom Cruise is also an undervalued actor. He has a little bit more range, I think. Well, maybe not. I, I don't know if Tom Cruise can pull off a comedy like Kindergarten Cop, like Schwarzenegger. Or twins. Or twins. Yeah, I don't know if he could do that. So, uh, but What about the one he had with Sinbad where they're fighting over the toy, the Christmas toy? Uh, yeah, that one, I don't think I saw that one. I, well, I didn't like it either, <laughs> but for the audience it's directed to, it's it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For kids, you know? Yeah. Jingle All the Way, I think is what it's called. Jingle All the Way. He had the movie where he was a pregnant man. I didn't like it, but it's again, it shows range. Yes. And then you've got the straight up, oh, got a sword, Conan oh. bullshit that I didn't like either, or Red Sonia. Yeah. And then you've got like the Predator and the Running Man and the Terminator. I mean, this dude's got great fucking films. Fucking Ravi is yeah. an expert on Arnold's movies. He's got all the, the titles just as you're saying them. He, he's beating you to the punch by a millisecond. Uh, Ravi, well done. <laughs> And he says, Arnold has charisma, and he certainly does that. Did you guys ever see the documentary, the weightlifting documentary that he did? Um, I did not. Oh, my gosh. It is so fucking good. I had not watched it for years, and about four or five years ago, uh, my my buddy Steve said, oh, you haven't watched it? He loaned it to me. I took a look at it, and and it was so fucking good. A great documentary about the weightlifting uh, business and you could tell then that this guy had the camera fucking loved them it wasn't just the muscles that they had that charisma like Ravi is saying in in the chat uh really really a, a great guy don't always agree with his politics but uh i do agree with them now that he's been critical of uh the oh, he hates he trump oh my god hey, you know who he's uh, i gotta go on this one but it'll be a good mic drop for me aldo uh, he, he's his favorite president ever is Nixon. Oh, swear to God, that. he's got he's got photos with him. He's starstruck by Nixon, as you are. <laughs> he said Nixon was like when he first came to America. I Arnold, this is Arnold's story. I'm not making it up. He said that he had just come from a communist country and was under oppression, and, he, and it was a miracle for him to get here. That kind of thing, mm-hmm. and he heard this politician speaking. And he said, who is this guy? They said, his name's Richard Nixon. And they said, well, which which parties do you belong to? He said, well, he's a Republican. He said, so I'm a Republican too, because I agree with everything he's saying. Mm. That's what Arnold's saying. I'm not saying I agree with everything he's saying, but I'm saying that's what Arnold's impression in 1968 was of Richard Nixon Mm. when he first came to America. Mm. Well, uh, that's a perfect way for you to do the mic drop and go save some (laughs) lives, buddy. Hey, I'm mailing your discs in the morning, so I'm hoping... 
tomorrow being Wednesday, that maybe Friday you'll have them, and hopefully you all can watch by the weekend. Well, with the, with the draft this weekend, I'm going to be super busy, but uh, trust me, my wife and I are anxious to uh, – Dan is sending me over a bunch of uh, JFK conspiracy uh, uh, documentaries and stuff, so my wife and I already have uh, circled some dates where we can do the binge on that. And stuff. don't sleep on the uh, 85 movie too. It's solid, man. It's, it's better than the 30 for 30 the ESPN did, in my opinion. Okay. Has Dan ever seen from JFK to nine one one? The I have not. No, if you like the conspiracy JFK stuff, you, it's like the whole history of it. It's done by an Irish guy. Did a documentary. It was great. It won like best documentary. Uh, I don't know if it was Oscar, but it won best documentary. Uh, I don't know which uh, award it won, but from JFK to nine eleven, the true yeah, history look, of uh, that's excellent. Yeah. Well, I, I got to go. I'll just quickly run down what I, I'm sending him. Rush to Judgment, which uh, Oswald's mother hired Mark Lane as an attorney to represent him with the Warren Commission. But of course, they changed their mind and wouldn't allow him to get legal representation mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, uh, because, you know, they're framing a the guy. But anyway, um, so he he uh, then, you know, was going to take this and make it into a book. But he, he recorded all of his interviews with people while he was writing the book. Mm -hmm. So two years later, they then turned that into a movie uh, as a companion piece for the book, which is called Rush to Judgment. So And it's got all these people's vivid accounts because it, it, he recorded them in 64. Mm -hmm. Even though the movie came out in 66, the book's from 64, the interviews are from 64, like two or three months after the assassination. Mm -hmm. So everything's so vivid with the people there on scene at the time. We're not talking about the 40th anniversary or something, you know? Uh, so I got that. I've got uh, the Jim Garrison tapes, which is a complete extensive breakdown of Jim Garrison versus the JFK movie and things like that. Phenomenal. Uh, a four part or four DVD set called Evidence Revision, mm -hmm. which is going to focus on the Kennedy assassination through LBJ in Vietnam, through RFK getting shot and Dr. King being shot. Mm -hmm. And then the nine part series of The Men Who Killed Kennedy, which aired on the History Channel. And then finally that 85, because I already had the Blu-ray, but my friend bought me the DVD not knowing I already had it. So it's never even been opened because awesome. I've got the Blu-ray. So uh, it's just been sitting there. Well, I'll be opening up a few days after I receive it. Thank you, my friend Dan Aguirre, headed to his other job where he's going to save some lives. Hopefully, hopefully you have a nice slow night, brother. That'd be great. You all take care. Love you, man. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye, Danny. Yeah, the, um, by the way, documentary I, I was trying to remember the name is JFK to 9 11. Everything is a rich man's trick by oh, Francis Richard Connolly. He's excellent, man. He said his, his theory is that everything is the trick of the wealthy elite tricking the masses. It's fascinating. I love that theory because I think there's already some truth to that. With oh, what yeah. we're Lots of truth, but by uh, the way. I wanted to ask you this because uh, only because Tin uh, Pan Dog uh, brought it up. Die Hard, he says, is the greatest Christmas movie. What's your What's your feeling on? First of all, is Die Hard is a it, Christmas movie? I know. I don't know. Is it? Anyway. Does it take place at Christmas? Yes, it does. Okay, so I guess does that make it a Christmas movie? I say no. I don't know. I, <laughs> I you could say yes. You could say no. I, I don't know, but I don't know if it's. Uh, 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 the greatest Christmas movie, though. I mean, I can I, think of. I, I, I'm biased on this. Uh, yeah, so am I. I. I I feel like a Christmas movie is something that I can sit down and watch with my family. Yeah. And 
there are so many fucking shootings and deaths in Die Hard. It's a great movie. I fucking love it. I love right. the first two or three Die Hard movies. They're yeah. fucking fantastic. Yeah. I, I saw a Comedy Central road. But I'm not watching it on Christmas. Yeah, right. No, no right. Way, eh? It's like you got two daughters and you're not yeah. going to say, hey, come, come on, girls, let's watch Die Hard. It's yeah. a great Christmas movie. <laughs> Slot that in around December 20th for me. Uh, exactly. Right? <laughs> my, you know, my, I mean, uh, for me, like when I think of Christmas movies that I'm going to watch with my family, I'm thinking it's a wonderful life. I'm thinking a Christmas yeah. story. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, I mean, that's like what like every year my family watches It's a Wonderful Life, you know? Right. Uh, Okay, you know that's Christmas tradition. You know, I got a Christmas story. So. Yeah, I, I just feel like you know, Christmas to me is about sharing, giving rather uh, than receiving. It's about being yeah. kind-hearted and family. Stuff. It's hard to find those themes in time. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. You know, but uh, I'm in the uh, minority. Look at Tim Dog and say, "Come on, Aldo, come on, <laughs> Tim." <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We'll have to have you on so we can debate that one day. <laughs> I, I have been watching some stuff, although I got to tell you, I was like, uh, I finally saw the Best Picture winner, which people probably don't even know what the Best Picture was. Yeah, you know? I'm forgetting. Yeah, because right. And, you know, I, I I looked at this movie and I'm like, I don't know if I'd be interested in watching this. What's uh, the name of it again? It's called Coda, Child, Child yeah, of yeah. Deaf Adults. Right, right, right. And I, you know, every time I was like, uh, you know, God, do I really want to watch this? I don't even know if I'm going to like it. I don't know what it's about really and stuff. Mm-hmm. Last night, my wife and I decided to watch it. And I was, it's fucking killer, dude. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent movie. It's one of those movies that it, it it's one of those movies that were, uh, those movies that you, you can cry in, but still be happy. Yeah, sure. You know, those yeah. are the movies that usually win. Yeah. You know, they're like life affirming, they're family uh, centric. And uh, man, I, I was crying like a whore in church mm-hmm. at the end a of it. Whore in church. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of uh, at the end, of it, it was really good, man. I'm telling you, it's about uh, it's 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 about this family. Um, mm-hmm. And three of three of the family members are deaf, and the youngest of the family, the daughter, she's a hearing. You know, she has she can hear. She's perfectly normal, right. and she's basically like their link to the speaking world, you know, otherwise they're just like, they're lost. And man, I, I don't want to give too much away, although, because it is so good. It's, and it, it's full of music too. It has great soul music, man. There's like Marvin Gaye and Eddie oh, James because the girl, her passion is singing, mm-hmm. you know, of course her family can't enjoy her singing because they can't hear, you know, and it's, it's very, it's bittersweet. And uh, they, every day this girl gets up at 3 a.m. and she goes out on the fishing boat with her dad and her brother. Mm-hmm. And she helps them, you know, catch the day's fish. They're Gloucester fishermen, Massachusetts. And uh, um, she has other dreams. She wants to uh, be a singer, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she joins this high school choir where she has this fantastic teacher. I can't. I don't know the actor's name. But anyways, the, the mother is played by Marley Matlin, who you remember, I think, won an Academy Love Award for children of a lesser god absolutely with, uh, with the late william hurt yep yep right and uh uh the the the, the father's an, an actor i don't know but he was fucking hilarious they're hilarious mm-hmm. they're kind of like uh they love each other so much the husband and the and the the wife they're, they're mm-hmm. constantly uh uh hot for each other which i think is fucking hilarious <laughs> and uh and then the son you know he's the older brother and he can't hear either and you know there's a lot of signing and stuff but they're really funny man when they uh when they uh, are signing, they, they they 
constantly play jokes on each other and stuff. <laughs> it's really funny, man. It's very touching. And she uh, she wants to be a singer, and she's not sure of, you know, and, and her she finds this teacher in high school. He kind of, like, helps her grow up to be, you know, for coming of age. Mm-hmm. You know, man, you got to see it, man. It's it's happy. It's sad. I don't want to I don't want to give away any of it, but just like go into it and watch it and you'll love it, man. I would watch it again. I think I watched it twice now. I watched uh, watched it uh, the other night and then again, you know, but uh, it's very good, man. It deserved to win the deserved to win best picture. Well, I am definitely going to watch it. I know uh, my wife uh, has it on our yeah. bucket list, so I'll, I'll be taking a look at it. And I, I've heard it pretty much what you have shared. I've heard that description. I mean, even Academy, I think, described it that way yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, during the, that show. So we'll take a look at it. Um, yeah. The other yeah. thing, man, I saw something and I just it just left my mind. I saw something the other day that I wanted to share. Oh, the uh, very first episode of uh, The Man uh what's it called the man who fell to earth oh, the man who fell to earth yeah yeah i haven't seen see it yet no is it good well it, it's good enough for me to give a uh, give it a couple of more episodes to see if i'll stick with it uh okay. it it starts off and I, i'm gonna screw up the the pronunciation of this actor's name chiwaldi let me let me see if i can look it up and and still uh chidol chiwaldi God damn it! <laughs> I, I, I just heard about it because I think it just came out. Chiwalte is Ejio for. Oh yeah, Chiwalte for. Thank you. Yeah, he's excellent. He really fucking is, and he's excellent in this movie. And it starts off. I won't give away too much, but it starts yeah. off with him doing twelve like this years of slave, right? Yes, he was in that. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, been in some Marvel movies. I want to say uh, he's he's been all over the place. He's he's a uh, a British actor who has done a lot of Hollywood movies. So the movie, the, the TV series, starts off with him giving this TED type talk to thousands of people, and and these people are totally enamored with him. And he is clearly rich and famous and powerful. And he starts to talk about the special power that he has. And he says, the way I want to share this with you is from the beginning. And so it talks about how he came from space and he is now on planet Earth. And he is trying to save the planet that he is come has come from. And that that planet, uh, ironically, is facing some of the same problems that Earth is saving. So mm-hmm. he recruits a uh, a new uh, or uh, some really smart woman who um, uh, who is having her own challenges in her own life. He recruits her to try to help him solve some of these problems. That's all I'll say about it. And right. it, so it, it sounds like something I would love. Yeah, I think you would love it. I, and, and I, my wife is a big sci-fi fan, so yeah, I saw it, and then I resaw it again with her, and she she was like, "Yeah, we got it. We got to watch this." So uh, we're we're committed to at least the next few episodes, and so hopefully you'll get a chance to see at least one episode before our next week's show. Yeah. Do you know uh, Do you know who Michael Mann is? Oh yeah, uh, the great great director of Heat. Heat. Miami uh, Vice. Miami Vice TV show. Yes. Right. I, I started there. Tokyo Vice and my, Michael Mann is the creator of Tokyo Vice. That's right. I, get that somewhere, I didn't yeah. know. I walked into it and I'm like, this is great, man. Mm-hmm. It's really good, man. If you get a chance to watch that one, that one's also good. I could recommend. I think Stephen Nagishi is the one who was talking about it last week. I think so you're I right. That's right. 
threw it in my queue and I, I'm, I'm hooked on that one. I think I'm about four or five episodes in and I love the, the, uh, the main actors, the kid who played in a movie called baby driver by Edgar Wright, which if butterflies haven't seen baby driver, you have to see it, man. It's great. It's got a great soundtrack too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the, the kid who starred in baby driver is the star of Tokyo vice. Excellent. I'm going to look for that. I, We're going to do my... some uh, NFL props, though, right, Aldo? Yes, we do. I, I, I've I, got a shit ton of notes. I got to say, first of all, that, <laughs> that Tokyo Vice is just the title alone makes me want to watch it. You know, yeah. I, I was into the whole Hong Kong Asian cinema yep. thing, these action oh, yeah. films, and uh, really love that era where, where movies from that part of the world uh, really, yeah, really yeah. took off here in the United States many years ago. So I'm a big fan of uh, that type of filmmaking. So if that's anything, if, if Tokyo Vice is anything like that, then I'm I all. Love, I love Japanese culture too, man. It's mm-hmm. like uh, yeah. it, it's very uh, it's very uh, intense the culture mm-hmm. and stuff. It's so different. Uh, you know, I, I, I've only passed through Tokyo just briefly, but uh, I think next time I'm going to try and make you know like a, a, a little extended trip there. But uh, mm-hmm. love J- love Japan and love the uh, the culture. Yeah, and before you get to your props, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Pan uh, mentions Mindhunters, another Michael Mann project, and I'll give oh, you another, uh, I'll give you another one, Manhunter with William Peterson. Okay. It was the predecessor to The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, yeah. M- Michael Mann made uh, 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 the I movie. It, it was based. On, uh, both of those movies were based on the Thomas Harris Red Dragon book. Michael Mann made the first adaptation of it with Brian Cox playing the Hannibal Lecter role and William Peterson playing the, the, the detective Graham, Will Graham. Exactly. And so I I highly recommend that version of it. And and silence of the lamps, of course, is a classic. What was that guy's name that played the the killer? Buffalo. Right. uh, The actor who played it. He's like bald and tall and skinny. He's fucking uh, awesome. I remember. It's like um, O'Connor or O'Connell. He's been in a lot of things, too. Yeah. I can't remember his Actor, name. Actor, uh, Silence, let's see, Ted Levine. No, no, no. Uh, in the Michael Mann film. Oh. The Killer. Oh, that's right. Um, Jeez. Manhunter. I can't remember Act. his name. Sing a song while I look this up. <laughs> it's like O'Connell or O'Donohue. Or uh, Tom, Tom Noonan. Tom Tom Noonan, right? Tom Noonan, yeah. yeah. Tom Noonan. Irish last name, yep. Yeah, good good actor too. Yes. Yeah. All right, brother. It is time for. Yeah. If you saw our ad for uh, tonight's show, Tooch is going to give us some props. Yeah. Uh, so uh, take it away, brother. Yeah. Um. I'm, I, I've been waiting for the uh, the prop bets to come out on DraftKings here in Iowa, but Iowa doesn't allow uh, wagering on college athletes. The individual college oh, athletes. I was like, God. I'll be waiting for I'll be waiting for a long time until they change the law here in Iowa. Uh, but I do have some I wish I could, man, because I got some killer. Uh I think mm-hmm. Illinois you can all though, so you can uh yeah you can, uh, look over some of these and stuff. And okay. uh, I think bar I think Barflies in the chat room will really enjoy some of these picks or some of mm-hmm. these like props and stuff. Yeah. I'll give you like uh some some ones that I wrote down here. Uh I think there's a prop out there, Kenny Pickett. Over 12 and a half to be drafted later than 12 and a half. I think that's a pretty good bet. That's a great one. 
uh, if you can get that one. Uh, I'd study, study that one before laying a bet, but off the top of my head, I would say after. I, don't, I, I think I would say after, after too. Over over twelve and a half. I think that's pretty yeah. good money. Uh, mm -hmm. Six wide receivers, over under six wide oh. receivers in the NFL draft first round of the NFL draft. That's going to be a little uh, uh, closer. You might sweat that one out, but. Uh, yep. Think about it. You know, I, 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 off, I again off the top of my head, I would say over because I would they, too. Want, they want that fifth year option on wide exactly. receivers nowadays. Yep. Like I talked about earlier. Yes, so, you did. Uh, That's why I heard that. <laughs> yeah, over uh, over six and a half Big Ten players in the first round. Ooh. So uh, you got Aiden Hutchinson, at least one there. You know, uh, mm -hmm. talking about what's that guy from Minnesota, Mafe. Uh, you've got uh, the two Ohio State wide receivers. That's four right there, man. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe uh, um, God help me out here. Well, I would say that this definitely feels like an over. I, and, I think so. I think you're right there at like six, seven. Yeah, let me get to um, my big board here. Hold on a second. Because yeah, I'm trying that, to find it too. Well, this is oh, one I wrote down. You got Aiden Hutchinson. It'll probably be a top five pick. Garrett Wilson, mm -hmm. Ohio State wide receiver. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Um, the other one, Chris Olave. Chris Olave probably uh, will be a first round pick. Um, uh, I would, I would, I might say under because after you get past Chris Olave, I don't think Carlaftis, Car George Carlaftis, the edge rusher. Yeah, I think he's a second rounder in my opinion, okay. but. Maybe not. Um, you got uh, Dax Hill, maybe uh, the uh, receiver safety, from uh, safety from Michigan. Michigan yep. safety, yeah. But maybe I mean people might, you know. Now I'm starting to think with Jahan Dotson. Jahan Dotson, a first rounder. Ooh, yep. man. Yep. So you're getting wow. that. And there's a uh, Tyler Linderbaum, maybe sneak. I don't think so, but maybe sneaks into the end of the first round. A Boye Mafe, the Minnesota edge rusher. I mean. It, 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 it's an okay bet. It's not my favorite bet. One of my favorite one is Devontae Wyatt under 29 and a half. It means you'll think he'll get picked before the 20, 30th pick. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a that's easy money. I, I, think, mean, I, think, so. I think you'll see Devontae Wyatt in the top 15. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one I wrote down here. Uh, <laughs> no, man. Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, <laughs> over, over 16 and a half offensive players in the first round. I think that's oh. a pretty good bet too. So you're talking offensive linemen, wide receivers, maybe a quarterback mm -hmm. or tight end. I don't know uh, yeah, whether or not you think it's going to be all uh, uh defense, you know, another one. I think, I think this one's easy money, man. No running backs in the first round. Oof. That's easy money. Just yeah. take, I, I, I take the money. I agree. I don't think any, you got Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. And I yeah. don't think either of them will be in the first round. Kenneth Walker, maybe. I don't yeah. think Brees Hall is a first round pick. Uh, I, I agree. And and polls was saying today that this this draft is so deep with running backs that there's going to yeah. be good undrafted running backs oh, yeah. available. Yep. So, yeah, I, I agree uh, with that. Drake London over under for Drake London draft positions eleven and a half. So I kind of, I kind of lean under for Drake London with Washington uh, at eleven. Mm -hmm. You know they'll probably be looking for a, a, a he's a big uh, a big wide receiver that, that Carson Wentz usually has success with. You know uh, those those larger ones. I see I see uh, Jordan has joined us. What's up, Jordan? 
Jordan, Jordan would be a good guy to get his opinion on some of these. Yeah. So, Jordan, you just joined us. Uh, Tucci is taking us through some draft prop bets. And so listen to the next one. We'll love to get yeah. your opinion yeah. on, on what you think here. Sam Howell over 42 and a half draft position. I kind of like, I don't think Sam Howell will sneak into 40, 42 or under. That's just me, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, frankly, I, I, I don't see uh, Howell to me as a third round cor- uh, quarterback, but nowadays with, with how they draft quarterbacks, he might end up being in a first round. How the hell did I know? That's one I might stay away from. Yeah. Uh, Another one is Sky Moore over 34 and a half. So him not to make it into the first round and to kind of, you know, go go down two or three, four picks in the mm-hmm. second round. I think that's a decent bet. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I, that was he's one of my fantasy picks that if he falls to the to the Bears in that uh, second round, you got to think seriously of, but I understand the bet. This It's a first rounder. I don't know if he's going to make it out of the first round. I think his stock lately has been going up and up and up. So I think he's a first rounder. So uh, I really like this player because, you know, he's an Iowa kid, Tyler Linderbaum over 27 and a half, which means he, you know, he's got to be either the early second rounder and very end of the first round. You know, I think that might be a safe. I don't think I don't think anybody's going to take a center uh, before tw- uh, twenty-seven or higher. You know, I don't know. My kid's pretty good. Uh, but it's like, always uh, been a no-no, right? To p- right. pick a center in the first round, and you could f- find a really good starting center caliber yeah. in, in the second, third round. Uh, but yeah, this guy he he has so much acclaim early in the draft process. Yeah. But his name has been dropping in a lot of mocks. I see him not being a first rounder for he's, some reason. He's got short arms though, so maybe Jordan loves him. <laughs> just kidding jordan <laughs> this one uh uh jordan might know desmond ritter to uh, be a first round pick <sighs> so that's tough man you can see somebody sneaking back into the first round 32 31 you know and taking desmond ritter i don't know that's uh yeah somebody earlier in this show said that uh ritter was their favorite quarterback so he said that he'll definitely go in the first round uh See, this look at that. jordan, jordan saying, says it will be a first round pick take that bet in cap says jordan yeah. so uh if jordan says so i'm gonna take that bet yeah <laughs> i surrender <laughs> yep uh let's see uh there's uh i wrote down another one here Ravi is telling uh, while, while you're looking for that. Ravi is telling uh, Jordan that Tooch talked earlier about liking Quandre Diggs yeah. uh, and that uh, Greg didn't like him. On Twitter, I asked him what he thought of Quandre Diggs. I thought he'd be mm-hmm. good for the Bears. I liked you know his tape and stuff. The guy looked good on tape. Like oh, Greg thought he was too short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Greg <laughs> Greg has something about he does not like short cornerbacks. Right. He, uh, he has not been on Duke Shelley's bandwagon for a long time. Oh, Stephen Nagishi is back. What was the question we have for Stephen Nagishi about? Uh... I think, was it him that recommended Tokyo Vice? Yeah. Uh, Stephen, did you recommend Tokyo Vice? Because uh, Tooch did see it and he loved it. So, yeah, uh, it's really know. good. It's got me hooked. I love the uh, Ansel Elgort in the lead role. Uh, Japanese is, is pretty good, man. <laughs> Oh, I love. Ja- I wish I knew how to speak Japanese. I think that's a fucking cool language. Oh, you know? same here. Uh, and and my daughter yeah. and I, my daughter loves uh, 
uh, anime. And so we, she and I have always wanted to go to uh, Japan and experience the culture there. So that's, that's on the bucket list. Maybe we'll get to do that. Um, the other thing that I was going to say, and I just lost my, lost it from my mind, but anyway, uh, go ahead with your uh, props. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I think Titans to select an offensive lineman with their first round pick. I think that's one of the props I saw out there okay. because uh, they, they they lost a couple guys, uh, so uh, uh, they need a uh, they need a couple starters to so to make some holes for Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's their whole that's their whole offense. Is, is yeah, I, Henry. I'm totally with that. I think there's there's going to be in one of those props. Did you have how many offensive linemen are going in the yeah. first? Okay, how, what was the yeah. number? Like? Uh, let's see. I think it's six and a half offensive linemen, all okay. like wide receivers, the same. Yeah, the see, same I, I, number. Think, I think it's going to be right there. Man, at six and a half is a, is a great number because I think it's going to so be. They're so fucking sharp, seven. like Jordan said. The numbers are, lines are sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it definitely. Jordan also says it's a good bet, but the sneaky option is quarterback for Tennessee. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm staying away. I'm staying away from that uh, bet, offensive lineman or or otherwise for Tennessee. Right. Uh, let's see. I, I, I like that uh, over six and a half Big Ten in the first round. My favorite's probably Devontae Wyatt under 29 and a half, Jordan. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to go way before 29 and a half, although Jordan would be happy if he fell to the Bears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Jordan, I would love to have you on, but we're re- ready to pull the plug. I like yep. to get out of here by around 11. Tooch has work in the morning, and I got uh, three or four shows to do tomorrow, so I need my beauty sleep. Yeah. Um, yes, sir. Uh, anyway, yeah. Tooch, is that it for your prop bets? Yeah. Uh, my favorite ones are uh, Kenny Pickett over 12 and a half. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll be under 13, drafted before 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, six. Well, over six or six, you know, six wide receivers in the first round. And uh, Devontae Wyatt under 29 and a half. And no, no running backs in the first round. Those are the four I really like those bets. Yeah. Those sound like good ones. Uh, I wrote a couple of them down, but that picket one, it sounds like the, like a money, a pure money maker yeah. for me. Uh, I, I, I might take a gamble on uh, uh, Trayvon Walker to be the number one overall pick, but mm-hmm. I mean, at Jacksonville, uh, if they're smart, they'll take an offensive tackle, don't you think, uh, uh, to protect Trevor Lawrence? Because you've heard a lot of time, I mean, a lot of talk about uh, what's that, I- Icky Aquonu? You're right. The, uh, being the number one overall pick. I would not be surprised. Well, although I think uh, Aiden Hutchinson is kind of that, you know, tremendous edge rusher. But I, right. I think when you got a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, you need to think about him first and foremost. And I understand yeah, what right. Ryan Post said today that, you know, a defensive player can help the quarterback because it's a chain reaction kind of thing. But no, you, you, you need, you need that offensive lineman for your star quarterback. So I could see yeah. that. I agree. I agree. Uh, um, and, and uh, uh, they might trade out of that pick too, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, the thing, the thing about Aiden Hutchinson, I know like before when they first set these numbers out there, Aiden Hutchinson was like minus, you know, 200 to be the first overall pick, but meaning that they thought he would be the first round pick right. now. He, now he's like plus 180 and, and Trayvon Walker's like minus 180, you know, you could have gotten Trayvon Walker to be the number one overall pick at like plus 350, you know, mm-hmm. a couple weeks back. 
And uh, now that, you know, it's draft smoke and mirrors and all the hype and the talk and the pro days and all that stuff, it's kind of reversed. And Trayvon Walker is the odds-on favorite to be the number one overall pick. Although, like I said, Icky Ikwonu, watch out for for uh, Jaguars taking him number one overall. I don't know. I'd like to know what uh, Jordan would think who the the actual number one overall pick is because you can wager on draft position. You know, those are right. going to be very popular if you think a guy's going to be one or two or three or four mm-hmm. or five, and they've all got different odds, you know. So, I mean, obviously I, I can't – I tried to put some of these bets in today, like I said, but Iowa still hasn't straightened out the law as far as, like, collegiate players. Yeah, that's you know? weird. I mean, it, it, and, and in fact, this really isn't about collegiate players in essence because they're, you're talking they're about – They're no longer collegiate players. Exactly. Once they declare for the draft, right, they're, they, they're professional. Exactly. I'm but, seeing yeah. if I get my yeah, I got my uh uh, uh Trayvon Walker, right? Walker is minus one ninety to be the first overall pick. Like two weeks ago he was like plus three fifty. Yeah, wow. So that is amazing. Got there. But uh like I said, I would I love that Devontae Wyatt under twenty nine and a half. I think that's a good bet. Kenny Pickens mm-hmm. over twelve and a half. I don't know what it is. It's they're they're moving all the time, you know. It's like yeah, this is what I saw earlier today that I wrote down. But oh no, no running backs in the first round. I would take that bet. All right, so here's here's a couple for you and Jordan. Anybody else in the chat room? Um, top ten picks. Um, Derek Stingley is minus three hundred. Think Derek Stingley, the cornerback out of LSU, is going to be a top ten pick? I think yeah. that. Uh, you know, he's certainly got the talent. There have been some, you know, questions yeah. about his character and blah, blah, blah. I, I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I don't think you can overlook that. Not in today's NFL. Robbie says yes. Yeah, Jordan yeah. says 100% says Nomad. Waiting on Jordan. Drum roll, please. I got to go. Derek Stingley. The odds Stingley. suggest yes, you know, because you're not making any money on that. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you, you could probably you'd have to parlay that with something to get some decent money out of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, okay, so here here are some more long shots. Uh, Kenny Pickett, top ten. Nah, you can't can't go there. Plus three hundred. No. Uh, Traylon Burks, plus twelve hundred. Absolutely not. That's not going to happen. He's not top ten. He may not even be first round. Um, yeah, if some of these think, are just ridiculous. If you think about it, I mean. Uh, the teams that are in actually are real. There really aren't a lot of teams that are realistically considering a quarterback, except maybe Atlanta, because they're going with Marcus Mariota. Is that right? That is that is correct. Projected starter that, right now. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Yes. Right. They they traded uh, Matt Ryan. He's in Indianapolis. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I think uh, you know. Uh, Atlanta's picking what fourth or eighth? Eighth, I think they're picking eighth. Yes. I mean, like once you, if Atlanta doesn't take a quarterback at eight, I think you're pretty safe with no quarterbacks in the top ten. So, mm-hmm. but uh, Jordan seems to think uh, uh, you might see a quarterback in the top ten. I don't know. We talked about that in the beginning of the show about how this might be the first year where there's no quarterbacks in the top ten. Yeah, I um, man, I gotta believe that there will be a quarterback in top 10 only not that they deserve it. Right. You know, <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky didn't deserve to be your first round pick. <laughs> Wouldn't it be Malik uh, Wilson? Is that his name? Malik Williams? Uh, Willis. M- Malik Willis. 
Yeah, I mean that's the that's the probably the quarterback with the highest ceiling, right? As long as he, I think so. You know, yeah, doesn't uh, uh, some of the, you know bust out like some of those guys that had like super high ceilings that never mm-hmm. made it. You know, Malik Willis at eight, like Steven says, uh, mm-hmm. is a possible. Well, what's Malik Willis as a top ten pick? What are the odds? I will tell you in a second here. Top ten, man. Oh man. Yeah, I he, can't he, tell you how much money I've lost. <laughs> recently i'm like yeah, I, I gotta stop the parlays it's I tell you, you know uh uh i've been you know I, I have clients that subscribe to my picks and uh while i was giving out my card over like a week of picks i was 32 and two you know 30 wins two losses two ties in nhl you know it was oh like, really it was like unbelievable streak of of winning hockey games. It was like it'll never happen again, folks. Yeah, it's hard. The other, shoe, the other yeah. shoe was gonna drop, but <laughs> for that time, man, it was like I was like red hot. I could not lose. Hmm. You know, like I, I was like Mike North in the fetal position. <laughs> he always says when he was when he first came to the bar room, you know, he was like seventeen and one or something like that, picking NFL games. Oh man, it was a you tremendous know? streak. Yeah. You got written up in the sometimes about it. Yeah. Um, Malik Willis minus one hundred five uh, to be a top ten pick. Now here's an interesting one. What, what was the odds again? Uh, minus one zero five. So there's a a lot of there's you know I mean there's a, that that would be. You know the guy who who would be there at eight. That's that's what you're betting against yep. in that pick. You know you're betting Atlanta to take him at 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 eight. Mm-hmm. You know just going going for you know letting him learn behind Mariota and try and develop him and stuff for the future. You mm-hmm. know if you think those traits are going to translate. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, if Jordan is on is on board with Malik Willis. Uh, I think Desmond Ritter is his guy. No, or I think oh, is it Ritter? Oh. Someone will move up to grab Willis or pick it, says Jordan. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. By the way, here's a, here's one that I like at plus two hundred. Kyle Hamilton as a top ten pick. Ooh. I gotta believe Kyle Hamilton is going to be a top ten pick. See, I I I, uh, I don't know because remember we, we talked about this earlier. You know about how he ran a four seven four at his pro day or something like that. Being, no. You know. And then someone in the chat room said he did that on purpose so he wouldn't get drafted to a crappy team. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. right? I think money talks, and you don't want to go any lower than you really right. want to. But, exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. So here's Jordan saying Kyle Hamilton won't go top 10, and, and it's stupid that he won't. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid because quarterbacks are overvalued. You're absolutely right. I agree with you, Jordan. Um. All right, I, I think it is time to pull the plug on this episode of uh, Animal the Bear. So, uh, Tooch, again, outstanding job. Tell people about uh, uh, your betting business, where they can contact you, where they can get these free picks, and uh, anything we want to share about uh, what you're doing here. Yep, uh, follow me at Twitter, at John Santucci VIP, where I mm-hmm. give away a free pick every day. I had like, had like a four-day losing streak with my free picks. Oh. But tonight I had the Ottawa Senators on the money line that paid off. So uh, uh, that was another hockey bet to add to my another win in hockey. But uh, <laughs> hockey's like the sport I know the least about too. I just yeah. look at numbers and trends, and you know, crunch the numbers, run them through the spreadsheet. You know, I look at the uh, just just looking at the numbers and the line movement and stuff like that. That's how uh, 
that's how I kind of helped make some. Mike, Mike North made a lot of money last year on NHL games and, and doing basically the same thing you did. He would chart yep. them out, and the yep. and the, his system said bet on this guy, and and he, he won. I think it was like 65, 75% of his NHL bets. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I give away, I, I'm, I'm, it's kind of hard now with uh, my other stuff going on, you know, with work mm-hmm. and, and stuff. So yeah. I just, I'm, I just, give out a weekend pass so people will get my picks friday saturday and sunday right now Mm -hmm. until i can figure out how to uh incorporate the rest of the week or monthly or yearly subscription Mm -hmm. i think that'll probably be later on you know it's it's hard right now Mm -hmm. uh but uh and then hopefully you and i can come to some kind of uh schedule for maximum edge and uh bring uh bring anthony because you guys love anthony's a bears fan oh i know He's a huge Bears fan, huge Cubs fan. Loves mm-hmm. the Bears, loves the Cubs. There's two favorite teams, and uh, uh, he's probably the best best guy for like advice. You know, he's super sharp. You know, he he uh, he'll he'll get barflies on the right uh, track. You know, as far as making smart picks and making smart wagers. Yep, but yeah. uh, my, my uh, money pool is down on DraftKings. I'm I'm down to pennies, so I need some help. I got to kind of win. Yeah, and my uh, my luck will change soon as soon as, soon as yeah. we get guys on board here. Yep, and uh, Barflies will have a lot of fun because uh, Anthony and I get some really good guests. Man, we get uh, uh, the office that we work with on Twitter. They uh, they get us the best guests, you know, from ESPN. Mm-hmm. To uh, you know, Vegas Insider, uh, mm-hmm. guys from Wager Talk, and all that stuff. So, uh, stay tuned. You guys, you guys will love uh, some of the guests we get. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let me let people know that uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, our programming starts at two p.m. Central. It is uh, uh, bar down hockey talk. But don't you worry, those guys are going to have a lot to talk about regarding the draft as well. And then I'm going to be a guest on the Irish Bears show, uh, I think around 4 p.m. Central. Maybe it's 3 p.m. Central. I'll be a a guest there uh, at 7 p.m. Central. It's the Mac and Reed show. Ross Reed and Evan McLean are back. They will talk about the, the, the draft and the Bears. They'll also uh, touch on what's going going on with the Chicago Bulls and uh, the rest of Chicago sports. And then a special episode of Draft on Tap tomorrow night at 8.30. That's our programming for Wednesday. And then on Thursday, tons of draft stuff on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So the programming is uh, filled with draft stuff as the week goes on. And so the best way to stay on top of what we're doing is go over to at Barroom network, or just subscribe to our YouTube channel and you will get an alert. If you've got a Google account, you will get an alert that will tell you that you can see John Santucci live or uh, Danny Shimon live or Greg Gabriel live and interact with us in the chat room. That's always fun. So anyway, for John Santucci, Dan Aguirre and me, Aldo Gandia, we'll see you soon. And thanks for being with us today. Bye-bye, everybody.